Hey, continuing the theme of women's empowerment today on the Robert Scott Bell Show, uh, we've got a great lineup. Fiona Price is joining us from Wales. No, not a whale, but Wales in England. Anybody know about that? <laughs> we, we've got a great, great uh, interview scheduled. She's got uh, a terrific book about the ultimate relationship, the one with yourself. And after we talked with Joni Abbott yesterday, we need more information on that for sure. And then in hour two, my dear friend, adopted mom plus as well, Ann Archer Butcher is going to join us. We're going to talk about her story, The Five Blue Rings extraordinary story you talk about spiritually transformative experiences in life while you're awake and operating a ship that you don't know how to <laughs> navigate drive control or whatever oh there's such good stuff today by the way women's empowerment uh, in in my book my understanding doesn't include terminating the life of an unborn baby that's a different story altogether but i've got to tackle it because obviously the biggest news of the day is Roe v. Wade versus uh, being overturned by the Supreme Court. So stand by for that. We're going to hear from Pelosi on a subject you'll be shocked that she's going to mention. Never heard her say this ever, ever. So get ready. The Robert Scott Bell Show is on Friday edition, heading into the weekend. Thanks for being here. Share the show. We're probably still banned on Facebook. So come on over and share your share it with your friends. RobertScottBell.com slash listen. And let's get this healing party started now. The Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. There's no point in saying good morning, because it certainly is not one. This morning, the radical Supreme Court is eviscerating Americans' rights and endangering their health and safety. But the Congress will continue to act uh, to overcome this extremism extremism and protect the American people. Today, the Republican-controlled Supreme Court has achieved their dark, extreme goal of ripping away a woman's right to make their own reproductive health decisions. Because of Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and the Republican Party, their supermajority in the Supreme Court, American women today have less freedom than their mothers. With Roe and their attempt to destroy it, radical Republicans are charging ahead with their crusade to criminalize health freedom. Whoa, 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 whoa. Nancy Pelosi, what did you just say? Criminalizing health freedom? Nancy Pelosi, you wouldn't know health freedom if it if it, it bit you on the, the bottom. Let's just say it politely. Health freedom. I've never heard her utter those two words in one sentence together. That, to me, is the most... Sh- I mean, they telegraphed that they were going, because of the leak, that they were going to overturn Roe v. Wade... That's not shocking. What is shocking is Pelosi just referenced health freedom, and she says the overturning of Roe versus Wade is an attack on health freedom. Nancy Pelosi, where was your defense of health freedom when it came to moms, women, who didn't want to get COVID jabs or have their kids jabbed? Where were you defending health freedom then? Nancy Pelosi, where have you been on health freedom when the people of California who have cancer don't want chemotherapy, radiation, or surgery, but want to use homeopathy, naturopathy, herbalism, plant medicines, minerals, non-toxic, not approved by the Fear and Death Administration, ways to get well and stay well? Where were you then, Nancy Pelosi? Health freedom? Really? Uh, 
I, I'm almost rendered speechless. I'm not, but I'm almost that someone like Nancy Pelosi or anybody in that Democrat party would now bring up health freedom because a woman has now at the federal level, no quote unquote, artificially induced governmental right governments can't grant you rights to terminate, terminate the life of an unborn baby in you. However, what this story is, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this Roe v. Wade issue because as I know, as you know, the people that are entrenched in their different various positions on there, whether life begins at conception or not, are not going to convince one another typically. Yeah, sometimes people change their minds, not typically on this issue. But what this is, is a repudiation of the earlier Roe versus Wade ruling that there was an actual right to terminate the life of an unborn baby at the federal level. That would be protected so states could not intervene and say, you know what? The people of our state and our state believes that this is a, a life and death issue and we want to restrict that particular medical procedure. And John Rappaport has a great perspective. I share it completely uh, with you. Um, headline, abortion, now comes the war. And he took it to where this really is and should be. It's about federalism versus centralized bureaucracies dictating a one-size-fits-all policy that only results in more discord, more dissent, more uh, radical violence, if you will, that may be occurring because, well, the Fed said, you know what? It's not our place. If you want to take this up at the state level, that's where it should be handled. Now, for those that like centralized bureaucracies, would you like the World Economic Forum to make one size fits all ruling around the world to say you can or can't do something or have something to, you know, related to your body. Maybe it's not the abortion issue, but maybe it's the COVID jab issue or another MRNA jab issue. You feel like it's an appropriate uh, role of a centralized bureaucracy far afield from you and your body and your children's body that they get to tell you what you have to do, can do, can't do. All Roe v. Wade does is it sends the issue back to the States where it always was supposed to be to determine at the state level, because you know what's going to happen now. you got the so-called blue states are going to make sure that abortions are available. The red states are going to restrict it or eliminate it altogether. And yet they, you know, Pelosi at the same time saying this is an attack on health freedom, which is an absurd statement from Nancy Pelosi. She, she doesn't know what health freedom even means or is. The other aspect of this is she purports that this is evidence of slavery. Because now the Roe v. Wade decision overturned at the Supreme Court level that women are now enslaved to what? Their own bodies? A pregnancy that they don't want? As I said, you will always be able to find, if that's what you want to do, a way, but you might have to move. You might have to find somebody that's more aligned with your belief system that life maybe doesn't begin at conception or you don't care. And you're more concerned about the convenience or inconvenience of having a baby or not. There's so many ways to prevent pregnancy. I'm not, it's not where I want to go. I just want to acknowledge Rappaport's article talks about individual liberty and also state, let's say, supremacy over the federal government. There is no enumerated power that grants the centralized federal bureaucracy the right to control medical procedures, making them legal or illegal. That is a state level scenario. 
And so what are we to see from this? Will we see violence ensue? Will we see protests? Will we, probably. Will it be real or will it be astroturf? I don't know. But you, you'll see people on the left now calling for insurrection. I, I, I sort of chuckle at that because the insurrection that wasn't really an insurrection on, on that January 6th date will pale in comparison to the things potentially that they could be doing and calling for. Threats to the Supreme Court justices. Threats to anybody at the state level who then says we want to outlaw abortion. And certain states will, and other states will make sure that you have access to it. That's the concept of the you know 50 independent states, uh, what we would call experiments in liberty. And there's always going to be disagreements, and you'll gravitate to where you feel, I guess, more comfortable. But decentralization of power is always going to be better ultimately for the freedom of the people who really perceive freedom as valuable. And I grant you that there's controversy when it comes to the freedom of terminating the life of a baby before it's born, much less those that would argue, Oh, well, you still have some time after they're born too. I mean, I don't know how you defend that. Anybody defends that for sure. That's, I don't think that's controversial, but some people actually think that. So if you guys want to chat, I think the poll question of the day relates to super Don, isn't that right the poll question of the day relates to this issue yeah will the and it's a it's a typo give super don a little leeway here will the overturning of roe versus wade result in violence against conservatives and pro-life groups yes no or not sure and it's not overtuning but you know that was just a typo it's okay super Don's doing so much it's amazing there aren't more typos i'm amazed uh so with that we're going to transition in a moment to uh, a more uplifting discussion, let me just say that, about empowerment of women in a different way, in a unique way, and men too, but in terms of relationships. What's the ultimate relationship? Fiona Price is going to join us from Wales after this. I, I just, Super Don, we're on the weekend or almost at the weekend, and I just want to encourage folks to get out there, get some vitamin D, get some sunshine. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it's not middle or start of winter, it's start of summer. And uh, I've been enjoying the outdoor time and I value it all the more because now I have four seasons as opposed to when I was in Florida. So uh, Super D, we got some uh, biking pictures from yesterday. Did I send you any available to, 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 to see real quick? Just as a. Yeah, yeah. hold on. That's no, it's, it's, upside it's down. not it's well, no, something happened when I downloaded the picture. So I got I need to do a uh, that picture I'm seeing comes from. Uh, OK, I, it, I, like somehow like mixed them together somehow or something. So. Well, let's funny. um let's do something different here and let's go to here okay now you're upside down hold on <laughs> hold on well i i just want to say the, go. the thrill of riding down these hills uh, of course i had to ride up about 20 to 30 minutes a gradual ascent uh and i think we were at about six thousand feet at that point coming down the hill the first time through i was huffing and puffing going up because i as i said yesterday my training uh for my physical fitness is largely kind of circuit training what they call uh high impact short burst type of thing three minutes of yeah. intensity and and so this ride was like steady steady constant constant never stopping all the way up the hill and then yeah. you got to enjoy the downward spiral go, or hopefully not a spiral the first I time say, down what I, i'm proud of you why, i'm why proud of you because i fully expected that because you were be having a picture taken of you you yeah. were totally going to be flexing a bicep here 
and you're not. And I just, I'm very impressed that you, right? that you, uh, you didn't do that. I don't know, but if you blow up the picture, you're going to see the IGF one plus muscles that are available oh, to you right. as well. There's actually another picture yeah. here, I think, isn't there? Yeah. Right. All right. Hold on. I think so. Oh, ooh, oh ow. man. Oh man. Look at oh. that. I was just going power time. What are you? And, oh. They're not that bad. So this is uh this is a, a great shot of, uh, I think, after we had come down once or maybe the second time. Uh, no, it was the first time down where I was alive. I felt good to be alive because I was a little nervous riding down the hill. It was bumpy. It's this and that. And I spun out mm -hmm. once but safely controlled. It was like falling with style the first time, getting my yes. uh, bike legs under me. And then the second time up, I was able to uh, do much better, much faster. Like my body adapted pretty quickly to it. And then I was able to go faster down the hill. But uh, uh, it was uh, I didn't do the one where you get air. He, Dr. Andrew went. You did down that on. once and you broke something, didn't you? Well, no, that, that, that was the funny thing. Kevin made a comment about that yesterday. When I, when I bought a used bike, this is a few years back now, and I tested it just like around the neighborhood, and I jumped a curb and I hit wrong and I fell down and I landed on concrete and broke a bone, spiral fracture in my hand. Remember that? Mm hmm. I do. And, and that's what happened. So it was like a very embarrassing bike wreck. <laughs> Whereas this one would have been cool, although I'm glad I didn't wreck and came back in one piece. But it's really an adrenaline junkie's dream when you do this mountain bike, especially when you're going downhill. Because you know at any moment you could totally lose it and maybe even All die. All it take I mean, is just a rock. Oh, you know? gosh. Yeah, now, I have done bike wrecks before, but I'm like, you're, you're very much in the moment. It's thrill. The wind is blowing. The, you know, you're looking out, you're being very, oh my gosh, there's a rock. You got to plan it. Uh, it's just split second stuff. And I was not ready to, to do the, the one where you get air time. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not, <laughs> not going to do that. want to live to see the next day. So see, anyway, just, visions I of playing evil Knievel when we were kids. Right? Oh, totally dude. And, yeah. and you know, I did that. We jumped creeks and we jumped stuff and I like, I'm amazed I didn't, I think I might've fractured a wrist or something, but I don't know. I remember wearing a cast from a bike wreck when I was a kid, but yeah, I'm thinking, I said to my wife about that. I don't feel like I'm the same age as I was then, but I, we feel don't the, bounce like we used to No, but I feel the no. thrill, the thrill that I remember <laughs> of doing that uh, biking. So encouraging y'all to find something that you enjoy. You know, I know not everybody likes to exercise, but find something that, that makes exercise pleasant for you. If it's not because our bodies are designed to move. And if you want to, what we call age gracefully, or even in reverse, as I can argue, to some degree I am because of the chronic illnesses I had for the first 24 years of my life to where I am today, more than, well, not double that age yet. Before, we, yeah, double that age. Good Lord, I'm over double that age. But finding out that, you know, you can achieve levels of fitness that maybe you never had. It takes slow, steady consistency. And I think that's true also of our subject today. We've got Fiona Price coming up now. And we talk about relationships, building relationships, and the ultimate relationship with yourself. It can be a slow and steady, hopefully an incline, or something that is positive in learning how to communicate. The ultimate relationship, the one with yourself, we have it linked up in the show notes today. I'd like to welcome all the way from Wales, it's Fiona Price, right now on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Fiona, welcome! Hi! <laughs> now, you have a legitimate Wales accent. Were you always from Wales? No. Yeah, I was, but I don't have an accent. I managed to escape that, thankfully. <laughs> well, what can, what would a Wales accent be versus a British accent? Well, it would be uh, something like, um, come over to by there from by Yersi and sits tidy and talks proper like what I does. <laughs> really? Okay. 
that's kind of cool. See, I, I don't know all of these dialects. My, my wife does. She grew up a number of years in England, uh, in Oxfordshire. And so, uh, and my aunt lives in London. I have cousins there, but, uh, the Wales connection, I've not had such strong Wales connection, although I hear it's absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, and a lovely place to be. Stunning beyond belief and very pristine and empty and amazing. You're right. So did you have a, a, a reasonably good experience through the two and a half years or so, or two years of crazy lockdown stuff in Wales? Was it a little more, did you feel like you could breathe easier in Wales than in other areas? Yeah, I mean, I'd actually taken myself out into the middle of nowhere about six or seven years ago and had a very reclusive period of time. Mm -hmm. So I had my own farm and was really in my own space and, yes, was away from all of that. But at the same time, I sort of figured that I needed to completely radically change my life. And so if we were starting at the end of my story, I sold up, was going to go and live abroad, have a different life, reinvent myself in a different environment and then couldn't travel without hassle with all of the nonsense going on. So I thought, well, what do I do now? I don't want to stay here. I don't want to buy a property. So I commissioned the build of a, a massive RV and I've been touring the British Isles and living in it ever since and seeing the wonderful countryside I've never seen before because I didn't have time. Oh, so yes, wow. I have had a different sort of experience than most probably through the craziness that's been going on. Wow, well, that's fantastic. I think the opportunity is, uh unique this this last couple of years and in many ways we can we can point to all the negative things that have occurred but in some ways there are people like yourself that have found a way to navigate it and and create a a, a better life right and a life of experiences that you're you're wanting to to have and i think that uh with the discussion yesterday we had my one of my dearest friends joni abbott on we were talking a lot about women specific uh not only relationship issues but um trapped in 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 hor horrific relationships in fact you know being with narcissists and things like that abuse things like that that just kind of carry forward and you don't even know these patterns have emerged in your life and you can't even if you do good good things on many levels you're like i'm still carrying this burden i can't i don't know how to deal with it and and i think this theme of of relationships plays right into that and yours directing it to the ultimate relationship to yourself how have you come to the conclusions you've come to as we learn about you Whoa, it's a super long story. I don't even know where to start, except that <clears throat> I've I've just always lived life in perpetual motion. I have just been relentless in terms of being a serial entrepreneur, uh, in terms of competing two sports at international level and just the craziness of life. And I think that, you know, it was my way of finding a survival strategy to really look at how I understood the issues I was experiencing, navigated the problems, absorbed the, uh, the, the whole sort of thing, and found a way of becoming the biggest, grandest, best, most efficient and effective version of myself in order to just cope with life. You know, a life that was so busy, I barely had time to go to the toilet in any day. So this is where the sort of the um, quest to understand how I functioned in that developed into then this journey of becoming um, very self-aware, becoming super aware of the fact that virtually everything starts with how you think. You know, your thinking determines largely what you experience, determines your health, determines so many things. Um, and so, as you just said, you know, how you were saying about relationships and how did women end up where they do and so on and so forth, you have to really look at how you set yourself up for experiences, including relationships, 
through the thoughts you carry, which are often not even your own. They're things that we take on from our parents, from schooling, from our environment, from the government, from society. And so working out what is it that you're thinking, how that creates the world around you, changing what doesn't work for you, and then harnessing the power of thought and harnessing your innate ability to manifest more of what you want in your life. So that's really been my, my huge focus and quest. Well, Fiona, you mentioned uh, that you were competing in athletics. Did you say internationally as yeah. well? Yeah. Uh, which sport, if you don't mind? Yeah, playing? I started um, when I was much younger rowing. And actually, that was the start of the, the whole journey because I was rowing from the age of 16 or 17. I got really hooked on it and I wanted to see how far I could go. But I shouldn't have been any good because I was way too small. So from that sort of early age, I thought, no, I want to really have a go at this. And so, you know, in an age where we're talking the 70s and 80s, when there was no such thing as sports psychologists, sports nutritionists, I was really instinctively looking at how do I visualize, how do I hone my technique that it's as good as it can be for everything I have in my physicality? How do I get through fear through pain knowing it's going to hurt every time you race how do you psych yourself up mm -hmm. to go through that pain so I think the things I learned in sport and I, I rode for eight or nine years I did the Commonwealth Games in 1986 they taught that taught me so much for business because mm -hmm. in a way my approach to business was how do I become a business athlete how do you break down all the skills you need whether it's decision making whether it's getting by on almost no sleep for years whether it's resolving conflict, you know, how do I hone my skills mm. and become a business athlete? So I think that formative sporting experience then played into business. And then much later in life, um, in fact, until about three years ago, I was competing international level equestrian endurance, which Whoa. is crazy, super ultra distances in a day at speed. <laughs> Whoa. So <laughs> you say equestrian is riding a horse long distance. Is that what yeah, this is? 75 miles or so at gallop all day and, and uh, the horses i imagine they go through different training than those that do the kentucky derby like it's a mile around the track this is different yeah but it's like with a person you know you train for the purpose um there's a lot of cross training that's involved because that includes in, increases the athleticism of the horse a horse yeah. is an athlete yeah. just like a person so it's about the training it's about trying to minimize the wear and tear in training and save mm -hmm. that competitions it's about the hydration and nutrition for you yeah. and your horse um it's about the stress how you manage stress i use homeopathy a lot for me and the horse because that Wonderful. doesn't come up in the in the drug tests right yes homeopathy is brilliant for sport a question sport yeah things i'm so, so imp impressed because i mean i was on a bike for an hour and 20 minutes my butt is sore i'm like ow <laughs> i couldn't imagine doing a horse all day yeah, but when you're galloping all day, your butt is out of the saddle, so that's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I'm like duly impressed by uh, your athletic endeavor. And Super Don, well, I didn't know uh, that Fiona was also an athlete. Is it okay? Can Fiona show her biceps? I mean, you complain <laughs> when I show mine. She's probably, probably bigger than mine no, with as much my, as she's done in, in the past. My biceps have lapsed. <laughs> They've lapsed? Is that what you're saying? But if you've done horses recently, I mean, don't you hold the reins and like your forearms got to be massive. Yeah, no, no, I still train. I do a lot. I find skipping, um, cycling these days, running is really good. But okay. um, I don't know. You, you know, I can still do a decent number of press-ups, but I'm not going to demonstrate them right now. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know I'd be asking you to show off. But no, I I, I appreciate the, the – uh, the background and history that gets you 
uh, even more credibility in my mind is how you apply the athletic endeavor, the intense pain, everything that it takes to achieve a goal, and then begin to apply that into the relationship realm. And for those of you who are just tuning in, uh, Fiona is here with us from Wales uh, right now, uh, Fiona Price. And there is the ultimate relationship.co.uk, the ultimate relationship.co.uk. And there's also a book by that name, The Ultimate Relationship, The One with Yourself Insights and Epiphanies of a 21st Century Woman. Uh, and it's out on paperback uh, well, just recently. This is very yeah, recent. Last week. Last Congratulations. week. Congratulations. Amazon and Noble and Barnes or Barnes and Noble. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sure you can get it online as well, however you do. But um, the stories that you share in this is it what, what would you say as far as the folks that are listening or watching would they be going because they're going to learn how to be better athletes or are they going to no, learn how to be what would you say no it's it's um it's a combination of my stories and insights and epiphanies um gained along the way so there's a lot of anecdotal um, hold on super uh, don that's not joni abbott you got yesterday's thing popped up we were I apologize putting that, that up there. I'm seeing Joni Abbott homegrown health on there. I don't know what's going out to the rest of the world. Super nine, as far as the, the headline that, that's on your end, not mine. That's weird. Why I would see that. And everybody else would your see computer the proper is, name. is, is, um, it's holding on to yesterday's show. Issue, yes. Yes. I know. It's like very clingy. I think <laughs> the computer. So oh, I just wanted okay. to be sure that's going out right for everybody else. So they see, uh, Fiona price and the author that she is, as well as the website. That's all. Sorry, Fiona, go ahead. That's okay. So, um, yeah, I, I wrote this book over 20 years and I never had time to really sort of make it happen. And so it's a combination of lots of different things. I've got um, pieces which were insights from business on things like truth in business and being the best you can be and the power of change and does success equal happiness. And then I've got blogs and podcasts that I've transcribed on things like the power of thought uh, training your instinct, what is spirituality, talking to your food even, affirmations and how to change your life. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, it's about, you know, um, uh, it's about metaphysics, really. It's about quantum psychology. It's about practical spirituality because you can't be trying to be the best version of you, I don't think, um, and realizing that, you know, the power of thought and, and, and thought has energy and this is so powerful without asking the bigger questions. What's it all about? Mm -hmm. You know, it, this quest linked me anyway to a strong sense of spirituality and trying to understand the esoterics and the metaphysics and the multidimensional part of us that we can leverage to make things happen in our life. Oh, extraordinary. I mean, I'm just so intrigued by, by your journey and what you're uh, sharing with us and, and, and in the book as well and on your website. Uh, have you found any, uh, let's say, common or, or, or patterns that have emerged in your not only your self-discovery, but in helping those that have reached out to you, you know, particularly women and, and their relationship, as you point out, with themselves and maybe breaking patterns? Have you seen common patterns that have emerged over the time you've been exploring this? Yeah, well, I mean, just talking about the women's thing for a start I have a very strong connection and a strong theme in the book with women and especially women in business because that featured um, very importantly for me for the first 20 years of my career I came out of business school and found myself in the financial world which was a great shock I can tell you because I thought I was maths phobic even with an MBA mm. um, and I noticed that I was about the only woman and I thought you know how could this be university has a mix of men and women the financial world has almost no women and I went off and got involved in women's networking that was really just getting going in London in the 80s 
And I then found myself setting up a business in the financial world to work with women. So for 20 years, I did that. And that was about empowering women through financial independence and actually taking something that was jargon filled and patronizing and making it understandable and, and plain English and something that women could use to give them choices in a relationship that wasn't working, that they could decide they didn't need to stay in that relationship to start their own business or whatever. And I then after that went into looking at how does women's leadership style different to, differ to men's we, le, leadership. And, and I had a website that interviewed top women from all over the, the, the UK about how they did what they did. And I found that, you know, women don't have profit as the first priority. They have um, relationship building with their with their colleagues. They have value for value added services. They have making a difference to people's lives as the top priority. And the other things that are more conventional business values come afterwards. And so they have a very different style in business. So if you say, well, what are the common denominators? Women's relationships in the business world. They're about partnership they're about empowering their colleagues empowering their clients and customers building long-term value they often take less risk they often build their businesses over longer periods of time but there is a very discernible difference in women's leadership to men and i think that this is coming to into its own now that the world actually needs more of this compassionate sort of approach it doesn't have to come from women it's something that we need to balance in our world between men and women but traditionally it is a more wo a woman's way of doing things so yeah you've uh and i say this with high level female athletes they have to you know dig into some of the masculine traits that we all share you know masculine feminine it's not a, a one-size scenario and, and yet that you go into the business world, which largely in the West has been masculine or male dominated. And I talk about the, the great uh, imbalance, particularly in medicine, where it's so masculine dominated that intuition is even frowned upon or communication of a, a subtle but important way that can guide us through beyond even our mental uh, constructs, if you will. And I find it's a fascinating uh, place to be when you achieve that high level of fitness and athleticism. And then apply that as a woman, you know, in a quote unquote man's world, so to speak. Uh, and I'm just fascinated by that you're, journey. Yeah, you're right. And actually, it, it was one of the things that I realized early on in my business career that I had used that very male energy, especially in rowing, because mm -hmm. it's a bastard sport. Excuse the French. <laughs> yeah. It's really brutal. I mean, it is really brutal. Um, and you have to use a lot of male energy in that type of environment, as you rightly say. And so I found myself using that same male energy when I first came into business. And actually, it took a long time to recognize that that wasn't it wasn't that effective, that I needed to get into more of the power of the feminine. But I'd always thought feminine was weak and I didn't want to be in I didn't want to be like that. So it took me a long time to really balance my own energy in a business sense, to learn to reconnect with my instincts. So I didn't go hell for leather and make and, and make unnecessary mistakes. And I, so I think that, yeah, I had to I started in that very male place and I had to transition into a balance but mm -hmm. to recognize that the, the power of the feminine and what that meant, and especially to use it in a business world, um, you know, yeah, it, it was a process, definitely a process. Well, and Fiona, there's so much, let's say, discord when we discuss male, female issues, feminine, masculine issues. And, 
I don't think it should be that way. I, I, I think also um, here in America, there's a lot of controversy about the feminization of men as well. Uh, but at the same time, I say that I do recognize the uh, let's say the imbalance when it's all one or, you know, all the other. And that there's an acknowledgement, if you will, that there are these energies that flow through each of us and that women predominantly carry more of that feminine and the male, you know, with some exceptions, I acknowledge. But how do we navigate that? And then also to take it out from, you know, the inter male female type relationships to the, as you point out, the relationship with yourself and even acknowledging the different aspects of yourself. Mm. Well, I mean, look, what we've had so far hasn't worked. <laughs> look at the state of the world. It hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I feel that, you know, the way forward for us to rebuild our lives and our world is to connect with what I would call intuitive intelligence, um, is to harness the power we have of creation within ourselves, because everything starts with us. If we can actually get ourselves right, we can then impact in the best possible way the things and the people around us and start to recreate our world. You know, if you look at the current scenario we're in, there's a lot of talk about, about um, uh, you know, about saying no to what's going on, about... Um, taking back our power i think that's the expression that people use a lot taking back our power and yeah. using using that in practical ways like cleansing our lives of the banks and the institutions that are basically toxic and corrupt taking toxicity out of our diet taking toxicity out of our environment mm -hmm. but i think that there's this other level of reclaiming our power which is about reclaiming our innate god-given abilities to manifest in our lives and to manifest good health for instance mm -hmm. so that's really where i'm coming from and i think that that is because it's so intuitive it is more of a female um sort of thing but at the same time you know, it has to cut across both men and women in positions of leadership and down through society. So I don't know. I think, you know, it's an awareness that we need to change what we do. It's an awareness we need to recreate. Um, and then, you know, one person at a time, insights I, and epiphanies, epiphanies in their own lives. Right. Well, yes, the, the road, the path back to God is an individual journey, ultimately. Uh, although we interact with folks and souls out here in this in this world, uh, quite different. In fact, in, in many cases, uh, those are the things that can instigate our, uh, let's say, our journey to direct and redirect it based on uh, what we find out we like or we don't like or that which we wake up and realize that was an abusive relationship. I no longer it no longer serves me. It serves nobody. Uh, I'm out of here. And yet, how do we break the pattern so we don't do that same thing again? Also, what I heard from you is very much in line with our theme of the power to heal, which is yours. In fact, that you have to will be willing to, to walk in or step back into your power. And for women, that's an interesting thing because, um, how does that power play out in, you know, the body that, that predominantly moves toward the feminine and, uh, versus just the, the violence of, uh, let's say the, the raw masculinity that knows no intuition and subtlety. And this is not me talking about all masculinity is toxic either. I'm just recognizing and acknowledging that there's there's beauty in both, right? And it's just that that relationship we're talking about, trying to struggle maybe to find out how do we navigate realizing that it exists out there and it exists in here. Yeah, well, you start somewhere. You have to start with some sort of discontent, which prompts you to look for something different. Mm. Um, and 
if you talk about the healing side of things, I mean, I've always been naturopathic. And so I was just fascinated from a very early age to explore all of the different natural health options. Not that I was ill, but I just wanted to know what they did and how they worked. And then gradually over time, I experimented on myself using instructions to my cellular structure, because I believe our cellular structure is intelligent. I think that's how homeopathy works. Um, and so then I would have accidents. Um, I amputated a finger. Um, I did various other things with horses. You know, it's always accident prone when you're dealing with horses. And I learned to heal my own body um, through stopping bleeding, through speeding healing, through uh, completely restoring the functionality of the finger once it was sewn back on and so on and so forth. And every time I managed to do something, I couldn't believe it. I was like a child with a new toy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then I was riding at a competition on one occasion and the horse tripped and stumbled after a fence. And I didn't know at the time, but he'd snagged an artery in his knee, Ooh. snagged an artery in his knee and the blood was pumping out. Oh my God. And there was a massive sort of, you know, get the vet, get the vet. And in the time we were waiting for the vet to come out, I just clumped my hands onto his knee and imagined with all my might that the blood was becoming like treacle it was clotting and becoming like treacle mm -hmm. and within five minutes there was no bleeding it had become treacle so you know it's it's this it's it's discovering little by little your own ability and once i knew i could do those things i knew absolutely that i was responsible for me i was responsible for my health that mm -hmm. whatever happened i would always be able to look after myself keep myself well and mend mm -hmm. my body when it broke but I, I started somewhere. I started with a tiny graze or a cut or, a, you know, a bang or a bruise. And for me, that was my exploration in mm. terms of the power we have over our own cellular structure. It's different for everyone, but you start somewhere. Oh, that's so I, I just love that you're you're going there with this and you've experienced <laughs> that. I, you know, I remember one of the uh, most impressional books I read many, many years ago now, Mutant Message from Down Under. I read it too. You read that? Remember that? <laughs> and I always remember the the scene described of uh, one of the tribe members. They were out there in the in the Aboriginals, you know, in the outback. Uh, that someone had fallen off of a cliff, and and there was a bone that was broken, and it was sticking out of the body. And she watched as they all gathered around this person with this bone sticking out, and just watched as this bone went back in in before her eyes, and it was repaired. It was like it didn't happen. And she had asked them. Uh, what were they doing? How is this possible? You know, they didn't have an emergency room to reset the bone even. And that's the one area, ironically, we say, well, allopathic medicine has a legitimate place, you know, to, to put a bone back. Right. And they said, well, all we did was we sat around or stood around, whatever. And we reminded the body what it was like before the injury. We kept reminding the body what it was like before the injury. And it just went back. Now, for some, that's just, you know, a science fiction story. But as you talked about, even in the moments with that horse bleeding out, potentially or art artery nicked to the point of that. And, and you're like, I'm holding on to this thing and visualizing and seeing what is that power of co-creation that we have with yeah. the mind? Yes. But going deeper than the mind as well to knowing something with all of your being that those powers of co-creation are yours. And I think the reason we don't. Uh, let's say, engage in that and look to so-called experts of physical medicine exclusively often uh, that, yes, they have skills in certain areas, but it's because we somehow don't believe that it is possible. We might think somebody somebody has a special gift, but 
I could never do that. And yet it's, that power yeah. to source is ours once we acknowledge it, recognize it and practice it as you have. Yeah. But you see, this is the juxtaposition, isn't it? That mm. um, you have to absolutely know it's possible even before you've had the experience of yeah. having the feedback that the it beliefs. works. Yes. It's like you look at your hand on the end of your arm and you know it's there. You, you know, it's it belongs to your arm. It's that sort of knowing. It's not even believing, it's knowing. Mm -hmm. So at some level, you start by having to fake it until you make it. But you have mm -hmm. to have this profound knowing that it's possible in order to actually do it. Right. And I think that what happens is you you somehow harness this multidimensional part of you, possibly the 90% of the DNA that's considered to be junk. I suspect <laughs> that has got a multidimensional function to it. Mm -hmm. And you create this balance and you can do it however you like. You you I sometimes visualize the good the good hand and superimpose the skin on the good hand over the bit on the bad hand or whatever it is that needs repairing. Um, or you do some vivid visualization with an army of little people stitching it all up and knitting it or suctioning out the fluid. Yeah, yeah. However you want to do it, you just you just do something and start somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I think also this whole thing about the ultimate relationship, the one with yourself, at the end, it's about balance. It's about how you live in balance. It's how you how you maintain balance, how you restore it when you lose it. Because if you're in a state of emotional balance, your cellular structure is in a state of balance. And when it's in a state of balance, it cannot, cannot be diseased. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everything sort of dovetails together, the emotional yeah. stuff, the yeah. physical stuff. Um, and yeah, it's a great journey and a process of exploration. Uh, Fiona, I, I just love, again, your journey is so impactful. I hope that people will pick up your book and read it. Uh, and and be similarly empowered. Um, you know, my experience is about these things. It's like the transformational power of belief. We've talked about that, that belief precedes all these other things, because whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Isn't that interesting? And that's yeah. that power of co-creation. You, you set it up and then you can actually self-fulfilling prophecy. See, I told you I can't. Well, you yeah, believed you yeah. could, and you're right. And yeah. see, you did something that someone might say is impossible. I've done things that others might say that's impossible, but I did it. So how are you to, you know, it doesn't square with the experience. And at a certain point, you know, if I talk about absolute reliance on spirit, divine spirit, holy, whatever people, they, everybody has different names for this, that at a certain point you found, wow, that was a miracle. Oh, that was a miracle. That So many miracles occur that you begin to say, Maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's yeah. not the, the exception to the rule, but it is the rule. And yeah. we've been convinced by others that want to own and control us that, oh, no, that's an anomaly. Only people in history talk about that that was happening or those that look at the Bible and say, well, that was the miracles of then. They don't happen today. But yeah. if they happen, then why not now? It's the same yeah. creation. Yeah. And I don't think it was a typo in the Bible that said that, you know, in days gone by, some of the prophets and leaders lived for hundreds of years. I think we're designed to live for hundreds of years. I think we can tell our body to slow the aging process down. I mean, I've been doing that for all of my life and saying, you know, I'm going to be in control of how long I live and I'm going to live a very long time. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, we have all of this. It is kept from us. It's not in our education system. It should mm -hmm. be. And so, therefore, it falls back to us to discover it for ourselves if we choose to. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a tip for your training. 
Yeah. Um, I like to use uh, a sort of quantum attribute on my training. So, so when it's hard, I tell myself it's easy. Well, that sort of usually takes a bit of the pain away. Yes. And then I always say something like four times the benefit. So I started off less ambitious with twice. Mm -hmm. And I now always say four times the benefit so that mm -hmm. I can get less training. more. Well, I can get the same impact or more from less sessions mm -hmm. and be as fit as I want to be. So I sort of quantumly... Um, amplify the work that, that I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I ever get over to England, we can do some training together. I'll see if I can keep <laughs> up. Uh, I would love that. Like I said, the first, you know, my training has been more interval. So uh, it hasn't been steady, consistent in terms of a long, like I did the other day, yesterday, in fact, with the mountain biking ride, which was great. The first time up the hill, and again, we're at elevation, I was like, I was at a certain point I was dying. I was like, Oh my gosh, I really deep breathing. Like I have don't usually have to get to because I'm, I'm in a good athletic condition. And yet when we went down and my buddy asked me, do you want to go up again? I was like, Oh, I don't know. I just experienced something. I, I wasn't really happy about <laughs> And yet I said, do we have time? It's probably hoping he would say no. And yeah, we have time. Oh, okay. Let's do it. And I found myself the second time up. I had that experience of the first time and I was able to steadily consistently make it all the way and not stop. And I was like, wow, that was a quite a different experience in a, in a set. And it was, should have been harder because it was the second time up, but it was part of it. it, it relearning something perhaps. And, and, and I, and I asked people to give themselves some leeway in, in learning something new or relearning something old that maybe the first time through, it's going to be brutal. And you're going to go, I got, I want to quit this. And then by not, by going forward, you find out the next time, wow, it wasn't as bad as I remembered. And part of it is that quantum envisioning, right? Of the reality of it's easy, it's easy, it's easy. And then convincing the cells in your body, because now you're giving it a positive uh, message, if you will, of uh, upliftment and empowerment, as opposed to, oh, this is hard. This is brutal. And your cells start <laughs> just giving up on you. And all of yeah. that starts with that. I say power of the mind, but even beyond that, I think the spirit itself is beyond that. Yeah. Well, when I was riding horses, not endurance, I've also done uh, eventing, which is big jumping. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some scary stuff. You know, you know that the, the big jumps are fixed obstacles. If you make a mistake or your horse makes a mistake and you go you're going to be in big trouble. Yeah. And so I would always visualize um, coming through the finish, really happy, patting the horse, having had a wonderful round. Um, and I would always try and um, connect with, mm -hmm. I don't know, the nature, the surrounding, the, the terrain, because terrain, mm -hmm. when you're riding at speed to fences, is yeah. also very, very critical. So I would want to feel I was connected with my environment, that mm -hmm. I was connected with my horse, that I visualized coming through the finish safe and in one piece. Yeah. And so I would just, and I would sometimes use an affirmation or write a poem that was effectively an affirmation to have a happy ending to the day. Yeah. So I think there are so many ways that you can actually take the pain and the stress away mm -hmm. and overcome the fear. You know, and everything in life at the end of the day is about dealing with fear, actually. That's probably the biggest hurdle we all have. Well, and, and that's to me the point of seeing one miracle after another and saying, why am I afraid? Every time something happened, I was, you know, caught, you know, it's like God had me. Right. And I, I was going to ask you as well about do you have an experience that you can remember where it was like a God moment, a spiritual moment of intervention, yeah. if you will, that guided you through something that was seemingly over your head and you made it yeah. through? 
Yeah, lots. Um, one in particular that stands out, um, I rode a car off. I was driving a sports car mm -hmm. um, on a motorway in this country and it was pouring with rain um, and I've got juggernauts all around me and there was a bad uh, part of the road that had, had filled up with water and I didn't, I couldn't see it coming and I'm on a little sports car close to the ground, hit the water it aquaplaned, it spun 360 degrees, and then it went airborne, missing two juggernauts, and it landed nose down in a ditch on the far side of the motorway. Yeah. And at all the whole time through that process, which happened in slow motion, I was utterly relaxed and I knew that I was completely safe and protected. And the car landed, I opened the door, got out and walked away. Um, so, you know, I think, and now I always know that I'm responsible for my own safety. I invoke protection and safety on all journeys that I go, mm -hmm. uh, go on. And, um, I don't worry about it. You know, it's not something that, that I'm frightened of even having had that experience. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's, it's thematically today's show is so amazing to me because my good friend, Ann Archer Butcher is going to be talking about her story about the fly, five blue rings where she was suddenly put in command of a, a, ma a big ship in the middle of a storm and she was not qualified at all to pilot this thing and uh how she was guided to do that well beyond you know her capacity or capability at least uh, uh, on the surface and yeah. these kind of miracles i believe occur every moment if yeah. we are open to them and also if we practice to be open sometimes it happens like a happenstance it's like wow that was a miracle i don't know how that happened and i've always been like well how do i duplicate that how do i do that again so that becomes the normal part of my life as opposed to the anomaly and I think that's a big part of your journey, I sense, in what you yeah. share. Yeah, um, I think you have to be open. I think you have to expect it. Um, but the other thing is, I think that, um, you know, if you go with the idea of reincarnation and that we've had many, many lives or we are having many, many lives, we've developed so much wisdom over so many lifetimes. And it's there in something called our Akashic record. And it's there for us to harvest it and mine it in the here and now. So, you know, when you need to, to, to exercise a skill you don't have, like maybe oratory or writing or I don't know anything, I think we're in a time now where we have much more ability to really use this multi-dimensional aspect of us and pull these wis this wisdom and these experiences and these skills forward mm -hmm. into the here and now and use them. Do you think, uh, Fiona, with a lot of the challenges, because we, we certainly we could be focused all on the, the chaos that theoretically or seemingly may ensue like in America over this Roe versus Wade decision. There's so such a hot topic and it divides people, the Hegelian dialectic playing itself out uh, versus using these things as an opportunity. Like, you know what? I'd rather not participate in that. I think I would rather co-create this life of abundance and joy and, you know, focus on, as I said, even in the midst of things that are serious that happen on our planet, that we find time every day or more often than that for joyful I could say celebration of the life that we're living, that we're alive and breathing. And, and yeah. maybe this is also facilitating that the hard stuff drives people back to this perhaps. I think in the current times, it's very easy to get dragged down into it and swallowed up by it and consumed by the negativity and fear. And, you know, it's really important to try and watch it play out as if it's on a stage as if you're in a theater and you're watching it play out on the stage and that way ugly as it is and there are moments when it 
moves me to tears, I can tell yeah. you. But by and large, I try and sit in the theatre and watch it play out on the stage so that I can remain dispassionate about it and objective. And then, as you say, you know, you choose what you bring into your life. Um, it's up to us to create our own balance. It's up to us to create our own joy. Mm -hmm. If you get sucked into it you will not be in balance and you will not be in joy and your health will suffer mm -hmm. and you will will create in your life what your thinking is focused on so yeah we have to manage our attention we have to manage mm -hmm. our thinking and that creates um you know in order to create the reality that we want yeah fiona it's like you know watching the news whether it's bbc or cnn or whatever it is and you yeah, ask yourself, ask yourself, how do you feel when you're watching that? Are, are you feeling more empowered and enlivened and excited about life? Or are you, ooh, ow, ooh, I'm a little scared. And, and I think that would be a good litmus to say, you know what, turn the channel or turn it off altogether. At that point, you don't need that. That's all around you if you want it. But if you would come to the conclusion that I have, that life is more than all of these events, even though in this show, of course, this broadcast, we cover these events, but always with the mindset of, like you said, it's all you're watching it in a theater. It's a stage play of some kind. And it doesn't mean people aren't really harmed and hurt, but this is life. This is the planet we're on. And this has been how it's been going on for as long as recorded or beyond recorded history has been doing it. Yet at the same time, recognize that in this lifetime that we are leading today, you were made for such a time as these, that the opportunity to what I call outcreate or co-create better is something that maybe is unique to this time, unlike any other. And to take advantage of it, you're here for a reason. Find that reason. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I don't watch the news. I haven't watched the news for many years um, because it basically is corrupt. You can't depend on the news for the truth. Mm. So I would watch shows like yours and others that are really uh, looking for the truth in our world and that I discern to be reliable sources. So I want to find the, the best information and that certainly isn't going to be in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the other thing which I was gonna say, which I've completely forgotten um, was, um yeah i can't remember next That's question all right. you've remembered a whole lot of stuff to forget one thing not bad at all what was the last yeah. thing you said because you said something very profound um you won't remember that either no i don't you know these things just flow through me yeah no i remember i remember okay i do actually think that it is a huge privilege to be here right now i think mm. this is the most critical point in all of humanity's history and we're here for a reason we chose to be here we put our hand up to be here and we came here to make a difference mm -hmm. so if we get stuck into the negativity and so on we're not going to be able to do what we came to do and it's about what can i do in my life mm -hmm. today what can you do in yours that actually changes somebody else's life or makes a difference however mm -hmm. we have to however we do that and our skills and abilities and talents and interests are all different but that is really for me what it's all about I want to give you a great big hug. So, ah, uh, you know, you're virtual, awesome. Virtual hug. It's so wonderful uh, to have you on. First time, maybe maybe many times, Fiona, if you'd ever want to come back. I, I, I enjoy the discussion. What your journey has been is quite profound and inspiring for sure. Uh, the ultimate relationship, the one with yourself. We have a link to the book. Uh, it's now available in paperback and there's a Kindle version as well. Uh, wherever you get books or if you, if you get it through Amazon, I know sometimes it's just a convenience factor, but if you're feeling uh, inspired and you want to dig deeper into what Fiona has been through, uh, I think it'll be greatly helpful for not just women, but men too. But thank you, uh, Fiona, for being with us today. Thank you for having me.
All right. Well, enjoy uh, your trip through Wales. And uh, it sounds like she's leading an amazing life. And, uh, you know, this is the question. Are you willing to do the same in your own way? Despite all of the obstacles, all of the things we have so many excuses, but this, but that, but the, and yeah, we recognize those realities exist or coexist with us. The question is, are we victims of those things or are they just here for us to, you know, kind of navigate direct and say, you know, I like that. I don't like that. This is what I'm here to learn. This is what I want to do. And I'm inspired by her. I'm inspired by many of you that are with me almost every day or every day we're broadcasting live here. We're still banned on Facebook, uh, apparently. So send a message out if you have Facebook to others to join us at robertscottbell.com slash listen and another number of other digital out, outreach uh, programs or software. I don't know what how we go out to the world. It's a lot of places. Super Don knows better than me. So we'll continue this journey with another uh, empowering story of direct connection to guidance from above or within, however you perceive it to be. Uh, with the story of uh, Five Blue Rings and Ann Archer Butcher. She's going to join us in the second hour. A quick shout out to our friends at Orange Guard. Uh, for those of you who are growing in a, in a garden or just live in a house and you don't like the little pests and the little bugs, but you also don't want to poison yourself or your animals or your babies, is there a way to do it? Yeah, nature provides an option, always. And in this particular option, we're talking about delimiting the distillate from the orange peel certified OMRI certified for organic agriculture. So if you're growing organically, this does not corrupt organic agriculture. It's absolutely safe. I've showed you that I can spray it on my plants that I'm growing organically and they're fine. And so there are safe ways to do it. Check out orangeguard.com. You can probably find it in major uh, retailers as well out there in the world, but uh, shout out to Tor McPartland for bringing a great product to market that doesn't poison people or animals or the environment. And with that, let's take a break. Thank you again to Fiona Price and Archer Burchard coming up next because the power to heal is yours. Robert Scott, Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. All right. I love the way we're heading into this weekend, you know, uplifted, uh, connected to, to guidance. And uh, for me, again, this, this makes it all worthwhile. So thank you for being here two hours a day, six days a week or any fraction thereof. You're all welcome. And thank you for those of you rebroadcasting and, and sharing the show. Uh, Robert Scott slash listen. If you'd like to be part of the email alerts, text RSB to two, two, eight, two, eight RSB two, two, eight, two, eight. And uh, you'll be plugged into Super Don's blast, email blast. There it is. And he's doing great work with the stories that we're covering as well. And the, the poll questions, uh, which uh, we may address, uh, obviously quite controversial what's happening out in the news world. Uh, perhaps more controversial is that the power to heal is yours, that you don't need an intermediary or go-between if you can connect to the source of all healing, which is your divinity and all that implies. Uh, real quick, want to say thanks to our friends at Trinity School of Natural Health. They're providing body, mind, spirit integration and education, uh, whether it be naturopathy or herbalism or iridology and homeopathy. A lot of things that are available to you at trinityschool.org. The Trinity Health Freedom Expo is coming up mid-October. Uh, that's October 15th and 16th. I'd love to see you there. I'll be speaking. I'll be moderating uh, panel discussions. I'll be broadcasting. A lot of our friends are going to be there. It's like a, a wonderful reunion. Uh, trinityschool.org and trinityhealthfreedomexpo.com. 
Also, shout out to our friends at Nutritional Frontiers, providing great nutritional options of empowerment that way for immune system, for sleep. The CBD that they have is ah, oh, it's so amazing. Certified organic, U.S. grown hemp CBD products. You can get at a discount with the code RSB15. If you sign up uh, to become a customer of theirs, mention the Robert Scott Bell Show, they'll send you, if you're in the United States, a nice care package of samples. And take a picture of those samples with you, preferably. Send it into Super Don. Every once in a while, we do a giveaway, a big giveaway, where you get a great goodie gift bag of a lot of the Nutritional Frontiers product products. And I'll be speaking and emceeing an event with Tracy Straup and Judy Mikovits and Jamie Dorley and Dr. Len. And that's August the 6th at uh, 9 a.m. Pittsburgh time, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Would love to see you there. Upcoming events tab for everything, including the Red Pill Expo, which is the next up. Uh, that's uh, July 9th and 10th in Indianapolis, Indiana. And a quick announcement before we bring on our guest this hour, my, my dear friend, like she's family to me, totally, um, Ann Archer Butcher. There's a case out of, uh, let's see, uh, Mon uh, Mon Monroe Carroll Jr. Children's Hospital. They're apparently refusing to uh, allow this child who's on the transplant transplant list to get an, uh, a needed transplant. This is at uh, Vanderbilt Pediatric Institute. They're refusing to conduct or, or do this transplant because this little child, this baby, has not been COVID jabbed. And And, you know, Look, this is just a, 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 another layer of atrocity that exists side by side with the uplifting stories of, of, of success and healing that can occur. And, you know, the question is, and we always have to ask this question, I find, you know, when you see something like this happen, do you just remain quiet and silent or do you speak up and say, this is an outrage? We've got to protect life. We've got to defend life. And I know we don't win every time we bring this up, but in many cases, the the fact that we're speaking up now, we've seen success after success where these hospitals back down and suddenly go, okay, okay, we'll do this. We'll provide for this vital life-saving transplant despite this non-jabbed scenario, which is, again, such an absurdity based on what we know about the experimental nature of mRNA injections and the fact that these young people especially have little to no risk at all. So thank you to the Nurse Freedom Network and Kimberly Overton to, to bring this out to our attention. Uh, you can contact the Vanderbilt Pediatric Heart Institute and, and express your outrage kindly and gently and lovingly, please. 615-322-6154. And yes, prayers, good thoughts. Uh, and, you know, we say thy will be done or may the blessings be to allow the acknowledgement that God's got this somehow at some level. But still, I think we're also asked to act. And if you're so moved to do so, uh, wanted to bring that to your attention. So, again, thank you, Kimberly. Uh, Overton and the Nurse Freedom Network. Now, back by popular demand. I don't know what it takes. I, you know, I call Anna. I said, we want you on the show. And then she sends us five guests and none of them are her. Finally, she's like, she's ready to be back on the show to talk about this story about the five blue rings and more. And welcome back to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Love you. I am delighted to be here. You know it. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Well, yeah, it's like I've been avoiding you. You know, I haven't. No, I, but I know how busy you are and the things you've done, funny enough, it, it, thematically as a woman in business. I mean, you have done extraordinary things and interacted with people of great, quote unquote, power, reach and influence. And, you know, often behind the scenes, guiding and conducting these things because of your, I, would I say a special gift or skill, but yet you practice it to get the guidance through amazing adventures that could have threatened your life or did, in fact. 
Yep, it's true. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about, I heard you talking about earlier, is what are we willing to do? And, and, you know, and we sometimes feel like we're a victim in the story that I want to share with you today. I definitely felt like I was a victim. I didn't want to be where I was. I was on a ship and I never wanted to go in the first place. The, the guy that I was with really wanted to go on this ship. We had a small daughter with us. It was just ridiculous. And, um, the, the, the ship was a rust bucket. It's like, why were we even there in the first place? But I was trying to be a good sport. And then when we were leaving Seattle, I discovered that the guy who owned the ship had decided it was too dangerous and he and his family had left. I didn't know that. I was up in the helm with the old uh, sea captain we hired to read the maps and navigate and he had left and he took his family because he knew it could be dangerous. He knew the weather report, I didn't know. And um, we had five helmsmen on board, so I wasn't the least bit concerned. And he took the five helmsmen with him because the ship was in such bad shape, they refused to accept responsibility for it. So gosh, Robert Scott, who do you think he left responsible? He listed me as the first mate, I have never even steered a ski boat. <laughs> You're having now to navigate a, a ship. By the way, we have a picture of this this ship. How many years ago was this? I mean, this is an extraordinary story. That this was in 1984, so it's been a long time now. That was the exact shape of the ship the day that I first saw it. When the guy that I was with said, "Oh my God!" But wait, wait, can you just imagine when it's all fixed up? And the concept sounded so altruistic. It was to take appropriate technology to third world nations, mm -hmm. and so it would have John Deere represented on board and be like a floating exhibition hall. Fine, but with a five-year-old, it didn't seem reasonable to me. But there was no, you know, it's like, gosh, break up our family or go on board the ship. I went, and why did he leave me responsible to steer the ship? And it is because he had seen what many people see in others. He had seen my abilities. He understood what I was spiritually capable of. Now. On the one hand, he saw what I didn't see because I break can openers. My <laughs> husband barely lets me in the kitchen. Um, but he saw what I was capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And um, he decided his best bet was to leave me responsible. But he didn't have the ethics mm -hmm. to ask me. He didn't bother to try and convince me. He left me there responsible for the ship. And when I suddenly saw the ship was leaving, I was like, why is this ship moving? None of the helmsmen have come yet. And the old captain said, you're the helmsman with some swear words thrown in. You know, you need to hold on to that wheel and get us going. And, and I was like, I can't steer this ship. It's 300 feet long. It's as long as a football field. It's six decks high. It's got a shallow draft and bobs around. And, you know, it was built in um, the 1950s in yeah, Germany. Yeah, in Germany first ship after the war that they were allowed to build and and i know nothing about ships i know nothing about steering anything i'm i barely drive my car so you're, you're leaving the seattle port heading out mm -hmm. to the big pacific ocean yeah and the the old guy who's the map reader he's been told that i am the helmsman 
Well, it could take five days to get from Seattle to LA. What am I supposed to be doing all by myself up there? I, I mean, it was a wonder that I ever got out to sea, but all I wanted to do was turn around and let's get back. You know, as soon as we could turn and get back, I wanted to go back to the port and say, no, we're not doing this. Look, this this is where I was in the pilot house waiting for the helmsman to show up because I've been assigned right. to stand there. All and, right, you've never had training. You're at the helmsman's yeah. position with all of these things. And I look at them, I'm like, I know if you move something, it creates a ding sound, but I wouldn't know how to pilot a 300-foot ship. That's only because you've watched TV, right? Right, it's because I watched <laughs> Gilligan's Island. I, I mean, how do you suddenly, you're now heading out to sea. You Apparently, they're, you're not turning around to go back to Seattle. What's, how is this happening? Well, none of those things that you see worked except that wheel. That was the only thing that worked. You could turn the wheel and it would turn the ship. That's all that worked. Even the radio that you see on the side there, when you picked it up, it went... That's all. You, you couldn't even talk to the, you couldn't talk to the engineers or anything. And when I said I want to go back, the, the old guy said, I hope you're prepared to go to jail. And I'm like, no, I'm not prepared to go to jail. How did this happen? And he said, but you're listed as the first mate. You're steering this ship. You took us out to sea. You'll take us back. They will arrest you first and ask questions later. I'm like, that's not possible. But when I began to think about it, it's like, okay, is there an alternative that doesn't involve jail or having to get an attorney to defend myself? Um, because I obviously didn't agree to be first mate, but I'm listed on the manifest. He showed me that I was listed on the manifest as first mate. I don't even know what first mate's job is, but it turns out that if the captain isn't there, if the owner isn't there, you're it. So that began this great adventure. And of course, did I feel victimized? Absolutely. But it was about to lead to the greatest adventure of my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a point that we have to think about, that, that often the things that are put before us as our challenges, as our tests, are exactly what we need to lead us to the greatest adventures of our lives. Well, and I think thematically again to grow spiritually to to begin to or strengthen our ability to listen to the guidance that is always available to us because you were definitely not qualified by schooling or practice to navigate in helms helms in a ship of 300 feet much less you said a little ski ski i mean this is astonishing I, and i know the story i'm still every time i hear it i'm like just blown away so I could not steer the ship, it turns out. And the old um, sea captain who was only hired to remaps, he's over 80 years old. He won't go anywhere near that wheel. And But he's swearing at me with every imaginable swear word that a sailor could come up with and telling me to do my job. And, and I have to say to him, can you teach me something? I mean, I don't know anything. And this wheel is very flexible. It just goes sort of round and round. And, and he's yelling coordinates like three degrees port. Well, what's three degrees relative to what? I know port and I know starboard. I know my right and left hand from each other. That's all I know. And, and so he takes me by the arm, drags me out on the deck, and we look behind the ship. And he asked me, what do you see? And I said... I see a curved line, which was the wake that we were leaving. And he said, that's supposed to be a straight line. When you're doing this right, that will be a straight line. You've got to stop with this S thing. We won't even have enough fuel to get anywhere. And I'm like, 
but how do I know that? I mean, I don't know anything. Mm. And he swore at me and said, be the effing helmsman. Just be the effing helmsman. Now, I have enough spiritual background to recognize there's a spiritual message in that. Mm. To be whatever we intend to be, just be it, right? And and of course, I argued with him because I, I don't know anything and I don't want to do this. And there's nobody I can run to because I'd have to abandon that wheel. And um, that concept of be the helmsman, I think, is the law of assumption. It's mm. living as if we are already what we want to be. And the law of assumption says, assume you are what you want to be. Assume you have all the skills that you need to be what you want to be and do it with all the emotion you can muster, positive emotion. Now I was putting out a lot of negativity. I was screaming and yelling and saying, this isn't fair and I don't want <laughs> this and how did this happen? And where's that son of a gun who left me here? And, um, and I was really pissed off. And I was worried too, because there's people on board, including my five-year-old daughter. How can I be responsible for this? And there's other ships out there. How can I make sure that, that I'm doing right? And it's gonna become nightfall. How do you do this in pitch black dark, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's mind boggling to me. And anyway, here's this wheel going this way and that. But I began to say, I am the helmsman. I know everything I need to know. I know everything about this ship. I know everything about the sea. I know exactly what I'm doing. I am the helmsman. I am the helmsman. And I did this for what would be considered a relatively short while. I mean, I sit down to do a spiritual exercise. I do it for at least 20, 30 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. I did this maybe five minutes and suddenly something happened that remains one of the pivotal spiritual events of my entire life. So I'm chanting, I'm assuming, I'm putting all the positive emotion in it that I can. And suddenly in the helm, this hot little glass room with sun beating in, suddenly there is this mist that comes all around me. It's a beautiful mist. It's like ping, 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 ping. And I am like, is that? And I get this download flowing over me, through me, within me of everything I need to know. I know how to steer the ship. I know everything. I understand. I, I understand the mechanics of the ship. I understand the currents of the ocean. I cannot believe what I know. And I am filled with such euphoria in the presence of this mist. And I hear this sound fill the air. I see a blue light everywhere and the mist just hangs in the air. And I'm saying to the, to the old sea captain behind me, cause he's in the chart room, are you seeing this? And the next thing I know he comes walking in and he says, I don't see a blankety blank thing. What are you talking about? And I'm like, oh my God, I know how to steer the ship. And he said, well, in about 20 minutes we'll discover if you know how to steer the ship, because he intends to drag me back out there and look at that wake. And if it's a straight line, I know how to steer the ship. If it's not, I don't. So we go out there 20 minutes later and it is as straight as an arrow. 
I know how to steer the ship. And even I was blown away. I have a history that's so deep in spirituality that you would think that miracles are commonplace. But to me, this was beyond anything ever. You know, Scott, I think we should tell them about the dolphin story to understand a little bit more about me. Does that sound like where we oh, ought to go? I, yeah, I think that's one of my, one of my, our favorites. And, <laughs> um, you know, uh, back on uh, the uh, island in South Carolina, Hilton Head, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And uh, it's an interesting uh, water that surrounds it because it's murky. You can't see into that water as well. And, and yeah, so share that, share this amazing story as well of uh, uh, um, another miracle. Okay. So this, it, this happens to be why I love the ocean. That was the only thing about this whole project that I didn't object to. I love the ocean. You would think I might not after you hear this story, but I do. I love the ocean. It was Christmas day. Um, at, in the story of the ship that I'm telling you, I was in my twenties In the story on Hilton head. I'm, I mean, in the story on the ship, I'm in my thirties in the story with the, this uh, beach scene in Hilton head. I'm in my twenties and I get pulled out by a riptide. It's Christmas day. There's no boats in the water. The water's cold, but you know that I'm a strong swimmer and I didn't care if the water was cold. It was hot outside. So what do I care? I'm going to go swimming and I want to swim hard and fast. I want that, you know, that feeling that the ocean gives you of just washing everything away, detoxing everything, removing all obstacles. It's just an amazing feeling to me. And that's what I was after on Christmas Day. To me, it was like my Christmas gift to myself. But I get pulled out by a riptide. And the next thing I know, I am so far out to sea. I'm like, how the heck did that happen? And I realize I'm in a riptide, but I know because I grew up around the ocean that I can only get out of it if I swim parallel and that it takes a while to do it. So I'm doing that. I'm doing my parallel swimming to get out of the riptide and somehow I'll manage to get myself back. I know people are all over the beach picking up shells and stuff because it's Christmas day. Maybe they'll send someone to rescue me. So what happens next is I'm thinking, okay, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And I look to my left where the shrimp boats normally are, out to sea, over there, I'm already out that far, they should be there, and they're not there. Because there's a kind of rule in the back of my head, never go where the shrimp boats are. Mm. So I'm not gonna go where the shrimp boats are, but I'm like, where are the shrimp boats? And I thought, oh, it's Christmas day, no shrimp boats. The next thing I know, I see a shark. And I'm like, God dang it, that's why you never go around the shrimp boats because the sharks come to get a free meal. Mm -hmm. So the sharks are out there. They want to be out there with them. And the shark is coming right at me. And I ask God to lift me up. You know, it's lift me up. It's a scene in, in drama where you say deus ex machina, where the hand of God just shoots straight up out of the sea. That's what I want. I want to be lifted out of this scene completely. The next thing I know, before the shark even has time to reach me, as far as I think, I'm hit hard from underneath. Now, I'm, I'm already reflecting. My mother is going to hate this. Daughter eaten on Christmas Day. I'm there visiting my mother. <laughs> and this is going to be horrible. It's worse than dying, my mother having to face this. But I'm going under. I'm sure of it. But instead of going under when I was hit, I get lifted up. And the next thing you know, I am flying toward the beach. I have no idea how it's happening. And then I see in front of me a dolphin and I realize this isn't the shark 
that has me. I'm on the back of a dolphin. And there's a school of dolphins around me and they're protecting me from the shark. It's exactly what I'd asked for, the hand of God to pluck me out of that scene completely. But when the dolphins get me to kind of, you know, chest deep water, instead of leaving, they surround me and do this beautiful e thing all around me with their sound current. And then they take turns touching my body in various places, one by one. And I'm twirling around, thanking them and acknowledging them. And I'm saying, you're changing me and I know it. And they're making all kinds of sounds fill the air because we are vibrational beings. We are vibrational beings. And so the law of vibrations is in play here. I know I will never be the same because their vibration is so high that I feel like I could fly in their presence. It's just amazing. So they finish touching me. They do some more circular things. They do this beautiful dance around me. And then they back away like this, two by two. And people on the beach are clapping because <laughs> one woman is yelling, oh my God, you work with the dolphins. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> But an old man comes forward as I'm finally leaving the area and going to, into the shore and walking to the beach. An old man says, I saw what happened out there. You were almost eaten by that shark. And I said, yeah, I know. I'd rather not remember that. And, and, and I said, yeah, they came spontaneously and rescued me. But people were just amazed by the experience. Now, what was interesting is, you know, they crowd around. They all talk about it. And I wanted to go home and hide. And I did. As soon as I could get away from them, I went back home. I went in my bed and pulled the covers over my head because I had no idea how it happened. I had no idea what had happened to me, but I knew for a fact that my whole life would change. So that kind of gives you the setting because everything did change. It was as if I had gone into the heavenly worlds. Everything around me started acting like magic. But years had passed, a decade had passed since that had happened. And I'm at the helm of this ship when this amazing mist comes into the room, the light, the sound, mm -hmm. and suddenly I know how to steer a ship. So I thought, oh my God, it's another miracle. But what happened next was nearly tragic because we didn't have the latest equipment to hear the weather, to know what we were going into. And suddenly at two o'clock in the afternoon, it turns pitch black. And this is two o'clock in the afternoon, the next day, because I've stood there all night steering mm -hmm. this ship, all day, all night steering this ship, almost run into another ship because I didn't know how to run the radar. And suddenly a storm hits and I asked the old sea captain, it's like, okay, but storms are no big, big deal, right? We, this is a well, big ship. By, Super Don, by the way, show a picture of the rust bucket that she's talking about. If you're just tuning in, this is this incredible story. The, the ship itself doesn't look like it would take, uh, you know, much of a mild, like say a trickle from the sky. And you'd be like, oh, you're going down. And you're talking about a massive uh, storm hitting. This is it. This is the look. This is the shape of the ship that Anne was now basically captaining helming if you will into a vicious storm that you didn't even know was coming I just want everybody to see that visually to understand how <laughs> amazing this is and you know you you can't really tell here but it's sitting very high in the water it's called a shallow draft 
and why this ship has a shallow draft is so that it can go into shallow ports. So its, its mission was to take appropriate technology into third world nations. Well, third world nations often do not have deep ports. Because which which makes it all the more dangerous to be in a vicious exactly. storm to not have that exactly. depth. Yeah, It's bobbing around. It's bobbing around like it's just sitting on the surface. It's not stable. Yeah. And I keep chanting what I chanted to be able to learn how to steer it. I am the helmsman. I am the helmsman. Now, to me, that is a chant that has served me the rest of my life because it means I am the helmsman of my own life. I know how to steer this ship, which is my life. I know how to move forward. I know everything I need to know. And that law of assumption, the universe responds to that, or at least it did for me. It responded big time. So it took everything I had. I'm absolutely exhausted, but I am steering this ship so carefully because when those huge waves and that wind hit us, there's lightning, there's thunder, there's giant waves. The ship wants to dip. It wants to dive under. And, and, and you know, it would have. It would have. But I'm very, very, very carefully finessing it. And I'm saying to the, but I'm so exhausted that I feel like I could fall asleep doing this in the middle of a horrible storm. It's like, just let me close my eyes and go away. I don't want to do this. And I asked the captain, just tell me that it's okay, that we can get through this, you know, to the old sea captain who's our navigator. Tell me I can do this and that we'll be okay. And he said, you know that mist that came in here and taught you how to steer the ship? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I, I swear to you, I never believed in miracles, but that was miracle number one in my life. But if we live through this, it'll be miracle number two. Oh. And I'm like, good God, don't That's tell crazy. me that. <laughs> yeah in the middle of trying to do this. And, you know, I got, I got so good at it that as the storm began, I said, you know what, I'm going to bungee cord this wheel down. I'm going to bungee cord it to itself. So it's slightly stable and run down and check on my daughter, run down and see what's happening in the engine room. Well, he didn't even object. He is so, the old captain is so nervous and frightened himself. He's like, just do whatever you need to do and get back here as quickly as you can. Mm -hmm. And when I went to see my daughter, she's being taken care of by the cook. Um, so it's an Iranian cook on board. Mary was watching over her. And I was very, very grateful for that. So Sarah, we bungee corded her bunk. She's had bunk beds. We bungee corded yeah. that. So it was like a giant crib. Yeah. So no matter how rough it got, that she wouldn't be slung all over the room. So I leave her. She's okay. She's playing with Mary. And I go down to the engine room. But the engine room is like a scene from hell. It stinks to high heavens. These are diesel engines, Maybach diesel engines, and they are putting off the most god awful fumes. They hadn't been they hadn't been working in ten years, so now they're working their best to try and and navigate through this horrible storm. And there's water sloshing all over. There's oil everywhere. It's just absolutely horrible. And combined with everybody down there is sick, so it smells like puke. And and the chief engineer comes to me and he says, this is bad. He said, what the hell's going on up there? How are the helmsmen doing? I, I didn't have the heart to tell him. Oh, my gosh. I didn't have the heart to tell him. We I don't have know. the helmsmen. That's I me. <laughs> and, and I said, how are you guys doing down here? Do you have somebody you can lend? We need some help up there. And he said, 
we're short staffed. We have nobody. Two of the guys are passed out. They're so sick. And, and I said, why is it such noxious fumes? And he said, we didn't fix things we needed to fix. We were short of money. You know what condition the ship is in. And he said, but we're taking on water, Anne. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're taking on water. That's why I'm standing ankle deep in water down here, holding my shoes. We're, we're, we're taking on water. And I said, how long can we do this? And he goes, how long is the storm going to last? I don't know. What damage is it going to do? I don't know. Just pray. So I go back up with the news to the old captain. I don't have the heart to tell him. Now I'm the only one who knows. I'm steering the ship. We're taking on water. The whole thing is an absolute mess. And it becomes, to me, challenge number two. I call it, you know, it's the seven challenges that occurred mm -hmm. in this whole scenario. And, and I'm in the next challenge, bring it on. And it's to make it through the night. And somehow we do, we make it through the night. And I just want to tell you what happens next. Because the ship does take on enough water that we're dead at sea. And we send out maydays to the coast Coast Guard to rescue us. We use all the flares we have to send out flares, hoping that we'd get rescued. We're listing, the whole ship is listing to one side because we've taken on so much water and we don't have ballast and, and it's just a disaster. And the, the storm is raging. It's like hitting the ship so hard. You can hear this booming sound. It's knocked over these giant refrigerators that are the size of a room. It's, it's tearing doors off. It's pulling the railings apart on the ship. We're just being, we're besieged. And we're maydaying and maydaying and maydaying and we get no response. But the owner of the ship was Iranian. So I said, let's use the ship to shore radio and see if we can send a, a far sea message out because he owns the ship. He'll be worried about it. You know, somebody will surely be listening in. So we began to send out Maydays in Farsi with Mary, the cook, speaking in her Persian language. And no response. No response from anybody. Not one squawk. We don't even know if our message is getting out there. And finally, the chief engineer says, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do except drop the anchor. And so we rope the guys down and they managed to drop the anchor. And that way, at least we hope we it's too deep you know, for the anchor to actually sit on anything, but holy, we won't get pushed into shore where, you know, th there's actually shipwreck museums there right. off, now off the coast of Oregon um, because there's such terrible storms there. And it turns out this was the worst storm that had hit that coast in 10 years. And the reason the Coast Guard don't answer, they don't answer because they actually are rescuing so many people that they're bombarded they're overwhelmed and there yeah. we are there we are we're at the mercy of the storm i finally managed to get below because there's nothing to steer we've, we've lost power completely and get my daughter and hold her close and pray to god that we'll make it through the night when i open my eyes it's not quite dawn just a little bit of light coming through and i'm like it's still outside, it's quiet. There's no more storm bombarding us. And I get up and look out the porthole in our cabin and the ocean is so still. It's like, aha, you know, you don't fool me. I know what you really look like underneath there, but there it is, quiet and still, calm as can be. And I'm like, oh, thank 
God, we made it. Oh my God. And I hear this pounding bang, bang, bang on my cabin door. And I'm like, who would pound on my cabin door like that at this hour of the morning? And I open the door and there's a man pointing a rifle at me in a uniform. And he said, ma'am, we are the United States Coast Guard and you are under arrest. Now, to go from the um, fire to the frying pan to the fire, you know, yeah. that was nothing like it. It's like, are you kidding me? How many tests can one human being have in a 24-hour period? What the heck? Yeah. And, you know, I'm very impatient about this. I'm like, you need to put that rifle down. My little daughter is going to wake up because you mm -hmm. pounded on the door. And you better tell her you're here to rescue us. Well, the next thing you know, Sarah's there saying, Mommy, who are these men? And he goes down on one knee, bless his heart, and he says, we're the United States Coast Guard, honey, and we're here to rescue you. He followed instructions. He's young, younger than me. He's in his 20s. I'm 32, maybe. And um, so I thought, well, that's better. That's much better. He understands we need to be rescued. But the minute she was gone, he said, ma'am, you're still under arrest and we need to inspect your vessel, and we need to see your papers. Now, Scott, the one reason we're out here anyway is I had no papers. Mm -hmm. The one thing I wanted to avoid was the Coast Guard. You know, that's kind of another spiritual law. Whatever we don't want, we attract to us faster than what we do want. So what yeah. I didn't want was the Coast Guard asking for my papers, and here I am. They want yeah. my papers. And I said, what are you what are you looking for? What do you want to inspect this ship for? And he said, we have suspicion of guns and drugs aboard this ship. Mm. And I know that the owner has a gun collection. To me, I think it's legal, but I'm responsible for the ship. Do I want them to find a gun collection on my watch? I absolutely don't. So, you know, we can continue the story another time or I can tell you what happens next. But it well, was just gave you perspective. We we have about 15 minutes in our uh, broadcast that also simulcast through to UK Health Radio. Then we take a 60 second break and go into bonus round. So uh, take the time you feel like you you want or need because it, to leave on this cliffhanger would be cruel. And I'm not mean to my audience that way. Okay, I, I will tell you. Um, my heart was pounding. My heart pounded like, I, you know, I could have a heart attack and just die. Now, I, my heart didn't pound that hard during the storm, for God's sake. But guns, I mean, I've never, ever had a gun pointed at me before. And and he's got uniformed officers with him. I know I don't have any papers. I know from his perspective, I'm completely in the wrong. I've been steering this ship with civilians on board. There's all kinds of people on this ship. And and none of them capable of doing anything except the engineers down there. And um, I just want to go to speak to the chief engineer or the old sea captain to say, what do I do? You know, they're maritime people and they've dealt with the Coast Guard. What do I do? So I told him, you know, we have not eaten in in days. We have literally not eaten a thing in days. We have to go to the galley and see what we can find for food. And he said, ma'am, we'll let you have a bite of food, but then we're going to inspect your ship and we have to see your papers. But I see the chief engineer down the corridor and I managed to walk up to him and say, what do I do? And he said, they're likely to arrest all of us. And I see the old captain said to him what he said 
miracle number three. Yeah, he remembered. <laughs> he, he wants miracle number three. And I'm like, but I don't know what to do. And he said, get rid of them. And I'm like, how do you get rid of the United States Coast Guard? I'm a blonde with a ponytail, exhausted <laughs> and dirty. I stink. Yeah. And he wants me to get rid of the United States Coast Guard, men with guns. And so we go in and we actually find we, the galley is a disaster. We can't even go in there. So we go in the owner's galley and we manage to find that there's some food and drink we can have. And now I have to be with the Coast Guard. And, you know, you mentioned the words inner guidance. It To me, it's the essence of our relationship with the universe. The universe is always conspiring to help us. But are we listening? Mm -hmm. Right? Exactly. You know, some people say God, some people say the divine, some people say the universe. I don't care. I don't care what you call it. There is a greater force than us that is conspiring to help us to rise up and move beyond the consciousness that we are in this moment. So here's what happened to me. I get with the I get with these guys, my heart is still pounding. I'm taking them on the tour of the ship that they've demanded. I know where the gun rooms are. I know where the guns are that they would find. Mm -hmm. And and I'm asking inwardly, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I need to get rid of them. How do I get rid of them? How do I get rid of them? And then I go back into where I started, the law of assumption. And I said, I get rid of the United States Coast Guard. I get rid of the United States Coast Guard. They're talking, talking, talking. But inwardly, I'm saying, I get rid of the United States Coast Guard. <laughs> yay, yay, they're gone. Yay. And and they're demanding things of me. We'd like to inspect these rooms. We want to get into these cabins. Are all these cabins unlocked? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, yeah, they're unlocked. We can get into them. And that's what we began to do. But I hear the inner message. It doesn't seem wise to me what I hear, but I've learned not to question it. I hear mock up anger. Mock up anger. I'm like men with guns, and I'm going to get mad at them. That that isn't any good. It's not going to work. Is what I say back to the universe. That's not going to work. I do. That's a stupid idea. It's not going to work. It's like dumb, and and I'm not dumb. And inwardly, I get a very forceful mock up anger now take charge of this situation. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not in charge. They have the guns. But when they open the first cabin door, they begin to open it asking, is this locked? And they're gingerly, you know, is anybody in there? They don't know what they're doing. I kick the door really hard. Well, the I don't know this, but the ship has taken such a beating that the hinges are loose. And when I kick the door, the door falls off. It's the first cabin we've come to. And they're like, now, ma'am, now, ma'am. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. Let's see. Do we have guns and drugs in here? Let's look. What I did know was one funny thing. There's the worst pillows. These, these cabins are empty. There's 350 cabins that are empty on this ship. And we happen to be in the first one. And every cabin is filled with four pillows, four pillows that are full of feathers old, moldy, nasty feathers, because from the 1950s, nobody's used this ship. So I walk over and I say, okay, we're looking for drugs. Let's see. And I rip that old fabric 
and feathers are flying everywhere. <laughs> and the guys are like pushing at their hair and 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 he's like, no, now ma'am, now ma'am, now ma'am. And I pull open the drawers, which I know are as flimsy as balls of wood, and the drawer falls apart because I crack at it so hard. And I'm like, nope, I don't see any guns or drugs here. Let's go to the next one. But I don't know what I'm doing yet. All I know is I'm mocking up anger. And they're saying, now, ma'am, now, ma'am, you need to calm down. When we get in the next one and the next one and the next one, we're heading toward the gun rooms, two of them side by side, unlocked. And as we're approaching, I start swearing. I don't swear, I never swear, but mm. the old captain's been swearing at me for two days, every word under the sun. So I start using some of that very colorful language. And now they're like, ma'am, ma'am, you need to get yourself under control. And I'm like, oh, do I? I've been through the storm from hell, right? Now you're here with guns and I need to get myself under control? I think not. And so I get worse, I get loud, I get angry and and then I say, because remember the part of the guidance was take charge. I say, there's over 300 cabins. At the rate we're going, we will be here till next week. We're going to have to do a random search. And I skip one of the cabins. Nobody objects because they're just trying to calm me down. And then we go through two cabins. Then I skip two cabins and we go to the next cabin. And then I skip one cabin and we go to the next cabin. Then I skip two cabins, and we go to the next cabin. And then we get to the gun rooms and I skip them and nobody knows and nobody objects. And I'm thinking, thank God in heaven. We get past the gun rooms and now I'm like, okay, now what? Cause I know what's next is they want to see my papers. And once they see, I don't have a piece of paper. I have nothing. I have a driver's license. That's what I have. <laughs> and I'm the first mate and I've been steering the ship. Mm -hmm. And it says on the manifest that I'm the helmsman. I have to come up with helmsman papers and I have nothing. And so I'm asking inwardly, what about the papers? What about the papers? I have everything I need. I'm saying I have everything I need. I have everything I need. And suddenly I have an awareness. And I said to the captain, you need to come with me. We need to speak privately. And he said, there's nothing you have to say that you can't say in front of my men. And I said, you can decide that once you hear what I have to say. I will meet you at the end of the corridor. And I walk off and leave them standing there. He follows me and said, man, I'll be right back. He's got his gun, you know, so what damage can I do? We go down to the end of the corridor and I said, I'll tell you what, I have friends in high places and I'm not threatening you. I'm simply telling you the truth. Now, my friends in high places, what I'm thinking about is not Robert Scott Bell. I'm thinking God, right? God is, is delivering this. The universe is on my side because I have an awareness, an awareness I never would have thought of in a million years. But I said, I have friends in high places. And if they find out that you boarded my ship illegally after what I went through and that I made aid and made aid and made aid you for hours last night and you did not come and you come on board like this, you will regret it the rest of your life and your career, you can kiss it goodbye. And he goes, ma'am, what are you talking about? And I said, you boarded my ship, not because you have suspicion of guns or drugs on board. There's no guns or drugs, of course, illegally on this ship, I add. <laughs> but the reason you boarded me is you don't speak Farsi. 
you picked up that message in Farsi and you know that it's a Middle Eastern language. So immediately you think guns, drugs, all manner of evil. And so you board my ship with suspicion of nothing, except you don't speak Farsi. So I'll tell you what's gonna happen. You either say, yes, ma'am, and turn and leave with your men and I never see you again, or you will rue this day that you ever met me. What's your choice? He turned and he said, yes, ma'am, and he left. <laughs> and he sent a tugboat to hook up to us and bring us to the Oregon coast. And that's as far as we can get to the story today. But to yeah. me, it's the challenges of a lifetime. And mm -hmm. that guidance was so powerful. That protection was so deep. That awareness of the principles, if we know how to use them, like living as if, the law of assumption, it will protect us. It will guide us. It will direct us to things that we might never imagine possible. Mm. And folks, if you want to skip to the end of the story, we'll have Ann back on, of course, to follow up on this. We have a link in the show notes at robertscottbell.com to fiveblueRings.org. fiveblueRings.org. And Superon can show the image of that, uh, a story of danger, romance, and mystery. And you thought this stuff was cool. And it keeps going. And it keeps getting bigger. And it keeps getting more extraordinary. And this is the stuff that... Uh, I wish everybody was plugged into to where you are getting that kind of guidance. I know that not everybody ends up on a ship in the way that Anne described it happening to her and with her daughter and things, but there are times in our life where we're feel like we're in over our heads, literally and figuratively and both. And, and you say, how is it possible I can get out of this one? And despite all of the odds against you, if there are odds, you know, you don't know how to, navigate or helms a ship or much less and you get the download this to me is very much like the matrix movie right you know when i know kung fu that there's you know reality to that concept even though it was hollywood theater eyes and everything but in reality life is more extraordinary more miraculous than even what they put in on film i think although this should be put on film one day but you know, I went to Hollywood. I was invited to pitch this story. Someone had heard about it. And I ended up going to every single major studio except Disney. That's the only one I was not invited to. And one of the major studios um, made an offer. And it was incredible. The offer was, we're going to make this story a New York Times blockbuster film and book. You yeah. know, you're going to have a New York Times bestseller. You're going to have a blockbuster film. And I said, fabulous. But then the producer said, but you're not going to like the offer. <laughs> How can I possibly not like the offer? What's not to like? He said, you will have to sign papers legally agreeing that this is pure fiction mm -hmm. and you cannot speak otherwise in perpetuity forever. What? Yep. That what was that. That was the agreement. And, and I said, why, why would you do that? And he said, because, you know, we haven't gotten to the five blue rings yet. We haven't gotten to the big mystery. Remember I said, this oh, is all leading is to the biggest event of my entire life, but we're not even there yet. These are the challenges I had to go through to get to that huge story. Mm -hmm. And he said, this company, Blank Pictures is afraid that if we release this story as true, that it is such a paradigm shift mm -hmm. that it would cause disruption on the planet. 
that and that's from a company that understands how to put films out that cause disruption to the planet. Yeah. They yeah. They wouldn't back off. They wouldn't back off. I, I worked with the owner and everything, and it was like so no. You said no way. Uh, uh-uh, uh. There's no way I'm not going to speak about this. So it was um, so hard. It was so hard. All that money, all the you know, just release it, get the story out in the world, and yeah. and it was like the timing must not be right. And yeah. you know what the producer said? He said, "You know, I agree. I don't think that the special effects are there for this story yet. I don't think that the consciousness is there on the planet." Well, when he said that, I thought. I think he understands. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. said, just wait, just wait a couple of decades. I'm like, a couple of decades? How do you know I'll even be alive? And he said, look at you. You will be alive. You will live to tell this story and you mm-hmm. need to tell it as true. And they won't budge. And so, all right. Let me go to a part of the rest of the story as we wrap up our official uh, uh, broadcast today. And we'll do a, sure. a break and come back and do a little bit debrief on this. This is the this is the the boat you found recently being restored in Stockton, California. I have seen this boat in mainstream media news reels, so to speak, where in it's happening on CNN, on other things, Fox, everywhere. That this boat was found, and some guy bought it to restore it, and it's the actual boat we saw earlier. Of and I had no idea till you brought that to my attention today because I was like, I- I've seen that on the news. That's the boat. Somebody found it, bought it, and is restoring it. It's a big story. Well, it was in a Bond movie previously, too, so it has quite a history. It's a very colorful history. It's a great ship. And, um, and yeah, it was, bought, um, it was bought online. It was bought online by this guy, and we went and met him, and he was delightful, Christopher, and he named it the Aurora. You can read about it online, the ship that used to be known as the Expex. It's in mm-hmm. Stockton, uh, kind of outside of... Um, San Francisco area. And we drove up and got to visit. And it was so eerie walking through the place that's the scene of all these, these miracles, all this mystery, all this mysticism that occurred on that ship. It's, it's quite an amazing experience, really. And also real quick, Anna's going to be speaking at the Spiritual Awakenings International uh, event. There's one in August coming up. We've been talking about that for a while. And she's going to tell the story of the five blue rings, a mystical true story of adventure, romance, and hope for the planet, hope for planet Earth. That'll be happening August 20th, 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And we have that linked up as well at spiritualawakeningsinternational.org. We're going to take a quick break and be back in about 60 seconds for those that want to hang out for the bonus round. And can you stick around for a few more minutes? Of course I will. All right. Well, thank you all for being here as well. Uh, thanks to our first hour guest. Really an inspiring day today on the show heading in the weekend. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Shout out to Fiona Price in Wales, of all places, joining us today and Ann Archer Butcher. Uh, we've got more to talk about in the bonus round. Don't go anywhere. Stick around 60 seconds from now because the power to heal is yours. All right, Super D, where are you as well? I got Ann here and I want to see Don, you... Every time we've had Ann on over the years, you are just, as you know, blown away by the story she has shared. And it's like some of the most exciting, gripping, riveting radio we've done over the years, just hearing these stories from Ann. Uh, and I know some of it you've heard before, but were you were you snoozing? Were you snoring or were you engaged? No, like, what I mean, happens it's next? Just, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, this is stuff meant for, like, TV. I mean, you know, you got to put, where's the movie for this? It should be on mm-hmm. Netflix or something. <laughs> 
<laughs> or, or beyond. I mean, it really, yeah, and, yeah. and we only heard again parts of it that lead to the most extraordinary aspects of the five blue rings. Uh, and and thanks for sharing that. And I know people are going to go. Well, I want to hear the rest of it. No, not today. We've we've done enough for today. Going on overall, but I do um, uh, I think about our dolphin story that we do share. I thought it'd be interesting to hear from you. You know, I may have told this once uh, on the air some years ago. We were on an adventure. In fact, I talk about this as my late 20s midlife crisis, mid-20s midlife crisis. <laughs> you know, I had been engaged in, in, in a wonderful adventure, you know, spiritually speaking, what I was doing, traveling around the world, speaking and meeting with folks. And I was just like, and we had these amazing trips. And there was this one trip. We went to um, Australia and New Zealand. And you, your daughter, Sarah, was there, not at five, a little older than that at this point. So it was after this story. And uh, Alden, your husband now. Um, and we were, um, I think it was here. I've tell, it was off, off the coast of New Zealand. Kaikoura was called. I remember it was like a marine sanctuary where it had like all of the world's ecosystems in one and the ocean, right? An amazing place. And they had boat trips you could take out. And, and we had heard that you could go out and see dolphins. You love dolphins. I love dolphins. And like, wow, let's try this, if I remember correctly. And that there was rumor of a, in fact, it was in the newspaper, I remember down in New Zealand about this one lone bottlenose dolphin. I don't know the, remember the name they gave it, if you, may, you might, but uh, we, we were hoping, hey, maybe we can go out and see that one dolphin because they had like other trips with like the little spinner dolphins you'd see, but like, wow, a big bottlenose, that sounds really cool. Do you remember this? Yes, yes, of course. And he really liked people. And he had broken from his pod. You know, the pods normally, um, they travel and mm -hmm. they migrate and go places. He didn't want to go anywhere. He wanted to stay there. He had become used to the fishermen and he would come around and acknowledge the boats and the people in them. And so we hoped to be one of the boats that he would come and acknowledge. And I actually felt like we called him to us because yeah. he came immediately. The guy is telling us, you never know. We can't promise. You know, he's saying it's not, might not happen. And it's like, holy cow, the dolphin is upon us. <laughs> it was really great. And you swam with my daughter in yes. the ocean with that dolphin. We had to put on a wetsuit because the water was very cold. Uh, and we got into the, this wild marine sanctuary in the ocean. And this, this is what I think is so cool about it. Cause the dolphin in that scenario has a complete choice. Does it want to interact with you or does it just want to swim away? Exactly. And, and so I remember, and I remember it wasn't a huge boat we were on either. And, and, you know, we get in this water and there's this huge, I mean, this dolphin dwarfs us in size. If I remember it was, it was big. And at a certain point, um, I remember swimming around, it was swimming around me and Sarah. And at a certain point, I remember going almost nose to nose, eye to eye with this dolphin. It felt like an eternity just looking in the eyes. It was like, what an incredible experience this was. And I believe your husband or was it someone else was with us was actually videotaping it back when we had videotape. And, yeah. and I think we I'll still have it. that. Yeah, we do. We have it. You know, th there's another dolphin story that I really love because it accentuates this point that you're saying that the dolphin has a choice. Um, there is a sanctuary down in Florida where they rescue dolphins that have been injured. Mm -hmm. And the only ones that haven't been injured are the ones that were, that are born there at the sanctuary. And when they stay long enough to be with their family, they really can't put them back out in the wild. But they do have a choice. But they choose to stay within the realms of the sanctuary. So Alden took us there 
um, in order to acknowledge the uh, anniversary of me being rescued by the dolphins. And so we're there, we're swimming with the dolphins. You get to hold onto the dorsal fins, do all kinds of stuff. But to me, it was completely um, unfulfilling because it was a ritual that they go through and there was no real soul to soul, heart to heart connection. But as my dolphin was leaving, um, the woman who's in charge of us, our group has gone on to the next group and, and I'm staying behind. Alden and Sarah have left to go take their wetsuits off and, and I'm standing there and kind of waving at my dolphin and I, and I send a message. And what I said was, thank you so much. I'm sorry. I really wanted to connect with you. What I wanted was like the intimacy of a kiss. I wanted to know that you know and that we could connect soul to soul. But, you know, I kind of turned my back because he's leaving. He's leaving. He's going under his lock, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And and all of a sudden, I see him swim right back under. And then you see him swiftly swimming through the water toward me. And so I stop. Instead of just glancing over my shoulder, I'm, I move toward the edge. And all of a sudden, there he is right in front of my face. Turns Now, we've been warned that his rostrum, his jaw carries such an impact that it can kill you. Yeah, you know, it yeah. touches your head too hard. Right. And I stand very still and very slowly. He comes mouth to mouth to me and touches me and holds it just like that. Yeah. Now, you hear the woman who's in charge of us over there screaming, no! <laughs> too late. I'm way too far away for her to do anything. And I'm saying, thank you so much. And he does this twirly thing in the air like crazy and makes all these sounds. And I'm like, there it is. There it is. Thank you. And I walk away as he dives in, I walk away so she can't, you know, get me and uh, for breaking all the rules. But it was beautiful because it meant that there truly is this subliminal communication that's going on with the whole universe. I believe it's with the trees and the plants and your garden and, you know, other people and the universe itself and all of nature and God and all life is interconnected. We're all communicating. And what are we communicating? Are we communicating the best? Are we communicating love? What vibration are we sending out? That's kind of what, you know, my whole life is about. Exactly. It's a, it's one grand adventure after another. And, uh, I just, you know, I'm grateful that we get to hang out from time to time here or, or other places because there have been so many more adventures than this. And uh, for those of you who want to learn more, go to the website uh, for now. Check it out, fiveblueRings.org, or if you'd like to pay, take part in that uh, August 20th uh, presentation on Five Blue Rings that you're going to share with everybody. We have that linked up at the show notes at robertscottbell.com. That takes you to spiritualawakeningsinternational.org. There it is, Five Blue Rings. And yeah, this needs to be made into a movie one day or something, because it's just this story. Like I said, we've we only touched the, the surface of it. We finished the book now. We have just finally finished writing the book on our okay. own. And um, and so we'll see where we go from here. Okay. But- well, the moment that book's available, we'll let everybody know as well. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Anne, big hugs. Lots of love to the whole family. Thanks. Wonderful to be with you again. Lots of love. Love yeah. to your whole family. All right. Thanks, Anne. Okay. Bye-bye now. See ya. Oh man, that was fun. Uh, what a show. Super Don, a uh, great way to head into the weekend. Uh, just 
I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm charged, revitalized, et cetera, ready to, ready to go. I'm very excited. And what can I say? Hope everybody enjoyed that out. out uh, wasn't it, wasn't it, and they had the story about the elephant too? Yes. Yes. That's yes. that, that was the first one that I heard. Yep. And that was, that, that was just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, we we had we you got to go back in the archives. Yeah, first time that you know yeah. uh, that uh, I had known about her, and she comes on, she tells this story, and I'm just like, is this like, is this like a joke? I mean, is yeah. this like real? I mean, what what is going on here? This is just insane. And it was one of those things where it was like, she's like explaining it, and it's just like the story that she told today, mm-hmm. where it's just like you're just like, oh man, that is insane. And then two minutes later, you're like. Now that that's really insane right there, and then you know, and then whoa, whoa, hold on, a you know, it just keeps yeah. getting bigger and better, and it's just like crazy. Yeah, the re- How yeah, does the she reality. Get herself into this stuff, you know, I've yeah. never heard anybody else experience these kinds of things before. She's got, you got elephants and dolphins and ships, and you know what's next, right? Holy well, cow. yeah, there are incredible stories out there, and you know, she's not the only one to have these experiences, but she happens to be able to tell the stories very well yes, and, and catalog that's, them that's and nuts. write them. And uh, I'm just looking forward to when the book is out, and then maybe it gets turned into a movie of some kind. I'm just looking at some of the uh, the comments in there. Uh, Stephen says, since Andy Wakefield is a movie director now, I bet he could do justice to Anne's five Blue Ring story. Well, uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. It lends itself to uh, well, who's the Avatar guy? Right, that Jim. What's oh his name? yeah, James Cameron. Cameron, because it's an ocean story. It's like yeah. it, it lends itself to that level of uh, technology to showcase it. But who knows what'll happen? But to have like one of the major of major movie motion picture studios say to her, "We'll do this story. We'll give you the deal, but it, we have to sell it as fiction, and you can't talk about this." It's like because it's too earth shaking. What it would do if it's a true story. I know that's the kind of stuff like you got to know more. You want to know more. So what a cool, cool uh, story. Hey, thanks, Kevin, as well. I see Kevin showed up a little late. Go back. You definitely want to see the whole show today. He says, finally a good show, and I missed it all. Right, exactly. Well, see, when Kevin doesn't show, we're like, oh, we can do a good show now. Kevin's not watching. (laughs) But thanks also for hooking hooking us up with the first hour guest. She was terrific as well. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of, the other woman we had that had rode across the ocean kind of thing. I mean, just such inspiring oh, yeah. stories. Yeah. Interestingly enough, of all things, woman after woman after woman showing us what strength is. And I think that's that's wonder. Really, I'm amazed. It's it's great. Really thrilled with that. Uh, so let's see what else we got to do. Uh, oh, just a shout out. We're going to do another quick garden story here. Your garden will suffer if plants don't have these secondary nutrients. Uh, if briefly if you want to go to that it's linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com they talk about uh, calcium um, they talk about uh, these things now i'm not a fan of utilizing synthetic forms of these things but you can utilize eggshells crunch them up add them to and there are little in- indications about how to do that uh, magnesium of course which is huge and important how can you do that what are the great sources of magnesium besides commercial fertilizers uh, and they they tell you how to do this. So the little things that you can pay attention to. Sulfur, of course, very very important. Uh, and yet, we I just don't want to advocate the uh, synthetic forms of these various things. But again, this is a good story about things you can do to add to your soil to make them and can maintain them as organic, not synthetic in that way. So just some good insights. And by the way, if you do have still have pest issues, uh, remind you about the Orange Guard if you haven't picked that up yet. OrangeGuard.com. Whoops. Uh, yeah, Ooh, you got that. You were trying to put. You'll that learn up right about now. Orange Guard on the on the newsletter. 
See, oh, yeah, you will. It's that's nice why I did that. Yeah. That's exactly why I did that. So text RSB to 22828. <laughs> uh, is it this? Wait, wait a second. Is it tomorrow? Is our AMA tomorrow? It is, yes. So if you're not already a patron supporter, for as little as five bucks a month, you can participate in our uh, AMAs one monthly, and we do it by Zoom. In fact, that's what I got to do after the show today. Remember to send out the invite so you can put it up there on our uh, Patreon page. Uh, also, I'm planning to give away this $300 retail value uh, gift to somebody that gets the trivia question, right? It's going to be a hard one, but we're going to make you work for it. But I think you can get it for 50% off. But if you go to, what is it, key, keys to life.shop, I think it is, where you can get this. They've got a deal where you can buy one, get two bottles free and of the IGF-1. And that's what's making my muscles grow big in addition to my workout that Super Don doesn't like me showing. So mm -hmm. I asked the ladies. It's making your head grow muscles. too, I think. You think so? I'm getting a big yeah. head over this? It's a dual effect. I'm just yeah. inspired by being fit and strong. Is that <laughs> something wrong with that? You are the bodybuilder, not me. Remember? I was I listen, when I trained, mm -hmm. I I did not look like Ty Bollinger, not even close. <laughs> I, my genetics are such that, that uh, you know, there's no way that I'd be able to do that. But mm -hmm. because genetics are real in bodybuilding, it is. Just some people are, are, you know, they can only go so far. Yeah. Um, I was in really good shape. Mm -hmm. But I was not, not you know, I, 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 I don't know that even saying I was a bodybuilder is really the proper term. Mm -hmm. I was inspired by bodybuilding. I competed in one, one competition. Yeah. I actually got a little bit of applause. I was proud of myself. I succeeded, right? You know, I mean, you know, I nice. did something. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there was this, there was a lot I didn't know back then, you know? Mm -hmm. It's one of those things a lot of people that, that uh, write into this show, you'll get questions of people just like, I don't know what to do because there's like 3,000 people telling me 3,000 different things. So it's no different in bodybuilding. Everybody's got their own thing, you know? They say, take this, take that, do this, do that and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's kind of a... You know, it's a, it's a journey, you know, of, of, you know, trying to figure all that out. I was a kid, so I just believed everything I read in, in the Mr. Olympia magazine and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was a good experience. It really was. Yeah. I, uh, did you I end up on a ship was... having to navigate it that you didn't know how to I do? never did that. No. I didn't swim with dolphins, didn't run no. into any elephants. But No. Uh, well, you've had some adventures. Well... Sure, I guess, you know, everybody, it depends on what you call an adventure. Nothing on that level, though. Well, geez. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that thematically, I keep coming with that, to that today, the theme of the day, the show today, was really connecting to the guidance, uh, taking charge of your life rather than being a victim, and seeing that there are miracles and there's a support system, and it would be considered spiritual in my experience, however you define it or term it or call it, that's you know up to you and your relationship with with the divine or creator that there is always somebody or something trying to help us along to uplift us to get get us through the tough times and then it's hard when we feel victimized and of course that experience that ann had you know talk about being a victim it's like i have no papers i'm in everybody abandoned me yeah you could just give up and go home and pack it in they could have died on that trip or listen to the guidance and do these extraordinary things we only heard part of it today so I, I, for me, that's so exciting to know. And I know there are more stories like that out there. We connect with people from time to time on this show as well that get to share these things. And I feel so blessed that we can do it. And I'm grateful we, we got uh, the opportunity to speak out about these things that 
perhaps. <laughs> Maybe they're just a temporary distraction for folks on the news of the day. And many people feel like the news of the day was a, a good news story in our audience, right, about Roe v. Wade. But at the same time, we know there's a lot of conflict associated with it. It's politicized, et cetera. And I don't want to get drowned in that either. We'll acknowledge that. But at the same time, life goes on and we got to find a way through the next and the next and the next thing. So always looking back for the uh, the guidance through it all. So any other things we forgot to announce today on the show as we wrap up here? I'm just uh, I don't know what we're doing for Sunday's broadcast at the moment either. I'm oh, just you got to show the, real quick. We have the results of the poll. Okay, um, yeah, go full screen with that. So, so we can see it. yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Mm -hmm. All right. So the question was: Will the overturning of Roe v. Wade result in violence against conservatives and pro-life groups? Mm -hmm. We had 200 uh, responses, and overwhelmingly, 74.5% yeah. said yes, that there will be violence against conservatives and pro-life groups. 8.5% mm -hmm. said no, and 17% said not sure. Yeah. Not that we're hoping for that. Not at all. Um, but I think it's inevitable at this point. I, I had the, you know, the opportunity to spend some time this morning watching what was going on. Yeah. Um, I'm not aware of anything yet. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're talking about, you know, these are a lot of the same people that were smashing windows and lighting cars on fire over uh, much smaller things. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's possible, mm -hmm. but we'll see. We'll see what yeah. happens. I think we should maybe maybe we'll revisit this after some time has passed, maybe next Thursday. Sure. We have Emord back on because I'm sure he can speak to the constitutional aspect of it and. Um, I guess we'll find out here in the next few days. Well, I'm not surprised that the majority of us, by the way, you're in a one shot, but I'm, I'm not surprised that the majority of us uh, in this group feel like there will be violence. It's not like we're, we're wanting to see it happen, but the recent history of the, the radical left at this point has shown itself it's prone to violence and attacks and and, you know, because they've been able to get away with those violent activities and not be called to the carpet and made responsible for their actions. Um, they might feel emboldened to just do it again because the media is on their side. Most in the, in the government, you know, are looking the other way. Uh, but I'm not encouraging it. I don't want to see it on either side of the fence, so to speak. But uh, now this goes back to the states and this is where it was always supposed to be. You know, the 50 grand experiments, these United States. And you guys got to figure it out on a local state by state basis. And if you don't like it and you can't change it, then move to another state and, and you know, find people that have a value system closer to yours. I think that's something that uh, I think people have, have found maybe necessary as they've flocked away from New York and California and other states like that to go to areas where they felt like they'd have more freedom, for instance. That's interesting. But to say you didn't comment on it, you didn't have a chance to. The opening video montage, if you will, montage of, of, of Nancy Pelosi saying this is a like a, basically an assault on health freedom. That was stunning. I never would expect her to say that. It was, you know, this morning I was trying to think of, um, mm -hmm. you know, what what uh, clip should I use to set the stage for talking about what had happened. Mm -hmm. and I came across that and I was listening to it. And I'm like, ah, whatever. This is what you expect her to say. It's a sad day, terrible, horrible darkness, you know, whatever like that. And at the very end, when she's like, criminal, they, the Republicans, the conservatives have criminalized health freedom and i was like mm -hmm. did she really say that i had to go back and listen to it again i'm like yeah criminalizing yeah. health freedom that's what we talk about all the time she has no concept of what no concept of it at all exactly Man, zero no. she's just using it sound bited it and like 
This sounds mm-hmm. good. Let me use it. But when it comes to real health freedom, she's totally against it. Uh, Steven has a, oh, we're going back to the elephant story, Super Don. He's got such a great memory, uh, mm-hmm. like an elephant that never forgets, Steven. He says, that was a cool story she was, he was remembering. She was leading a school children on a field trip and explained how what you imagine gets manifested. A doubting boy suggested an elephant. Lo and behold, at the next corner, an elephant appeared. Circus <laughs> transport had broken down and the elephant got loose. That was the story. That really happened. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? what that was so about? amazing. Yeah. Remember yeah. that. I mean, you're like, crazy. okay, let's do it. It's like the craziest thing. And one of the kids says it. And then bingo, there's the elephant that got loose and they all see it. What a lesson for these kids about creative imagination and, you know, speaking things into reality. Uh, just that's that was fun. Yeah, I remember that was a great story. Yeah. So let's see what else. Wrapping up. So tomorrow is the AMA, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, right? Correct. We go a couple hours. I forgot all about that, even though I've been telegraphing. It's coming. Uh, so be part of it. And we'd love to see you there. It's via Zoom, so we get to interact with one another. So many great stories and uh, great sharing as well and helping each other out. I love it. I appreciate all y'all that, that support us. Uh, even sharing the show, just sharing the show is great. But thank you for even more when you do that. It helps us out a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything else? You don't know what we're talking about. Tomorrow? Yeah, just head on over to robertscottbell.com. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. Click on the banner. It says Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you'll see what we're talking about. It's a way of supporting the show for as little as four ninety nine a month. It gets you access to... We, we uploaded... I mean, it's been a long time now, but, I mean, we've got web uh, seminars, you know, with John Rappaport uh, on, on vaccines that's been uploaded there. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, chapters of your book. Uh, you've got all of the AMAs previous to this uh, that have been uh, archived there. Um, whenever we do, a, for, mo- for the most part, whenever we do a pre-recorded interview, which actually we need to talk about. because Yeah, for Sunday show. For Sunday, yeah. uh, a pre-recorded interview, uh, we'll put it up there on Patreon before it airs. So you mm-hmm. guys get access to it. Uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah. And there's more stuff I'd love to do with the Patreon, which... Mm-hmm. As you've noticed, as time kind of goes on, I'm figuring out ways to add a little bit here, add a little bit there, because I just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, whatever. Yeah. We need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there will be other things that we'll, we'll, we'll incorporate into the Patreon. But like I said, $4.99 a month, if you do more than that, there are other opportunities where if you want to uh, subscribe to, you know, like to $25 a month or something like that, then you get a, a free uh, a t-shirt we, we throw some extra things book. in there yeah but yeah. but but the folks are winning things every time we do an ama that's like almost i think it actually is of dollar value they're getting more uh and especially a lot of tomorrow yeah especially like I said, tomorrow. i'm blown away tomorrow the, the yeah. what you're going to be giving away has a retail value of 300 bucks yeah that's insane i don't think we've ever done that before so. i know super don wants to win it so and i don't know the v he's eligible so <laughs> <laughs> i know we'll have to see so we'll figure out uh, what we're doing for Sunday's broadcast. We'll talk about that. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I got the computer working today, as you can see, my studio, but there's still some issues. So uh, I got issues, right? So we're trying to navigate way through that. If I have to do outdoor broadcasts, I, I don't mind. It was actually kind of cool to do that or warm, but not bad. And yes. being outside is, is good. I love to be outdoors. So uh, not, not so much in the winter. So I gotta make sure we get this thing fixed. So. Uh, right. Thanks again for being here, y'all. And mm. yep. 
back on Sunday one way or another with something and uh, back live on Monday. I hope to see many of you live tomorrow on our uh, AMA. Yep. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Bye. Bye.